It's the movie America unanimously voted as the greatest Christmas film ever. Well, if this film is any indication, America is fucked, and it always has been. It's a Christmas story. This week on Nothing Good. That's a hell of an intro, Mr. Wow. Brown. Appreciate it, man. How you guys doing, Mac? How you doing? Noah, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, better now that I'm not watching this movie, but we'll get to that in a minute. Mm. So so I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just wanted to apologize to the listeners for uh, not being here for the last uh, recording of the episode for Halo. Um. Unfortunately, everybody, after my uh, four episode stint in Noah's basement, mm-hmm. and I finally was freed, mm-hmm. I developed Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I was arrested for trying to climb my way back into his basement. It's ironic that you were arrested for trying to get into my basement when I had spent so many hours crawling my way into your basement. <laughs> well, uh, okay. I. I, I <laughs> I made sure I brought the turkey baster with me. Nice. And I that's was, what, uh, that's why, that's when I said, put the weapon down. That's what they were yelling about. Yeah. Baster. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mariel was not happy. I, I tried to on a completely related note, Mac, I tried to find one of those big accordion, like squeezy things that you used oh, to have yeah. in old timey fireplaces, but they don't sell one that gets the nozzle as small around as it would need to be to be. Anyway, Doc, how are you? <laughs> Uh, man, I've had better days. Work was long, stressful, uh, but it is over now, and I'm hanging out with two of my best friends, so things are good. I'm just excited to sit down and uh, shoot the breeze and talk about a good movie here and there. Here and there. We'll, we'll eventually get to it. Here and there. But, um, yeah, so, so welcome to our sweet, singular Australian listener. Thank you very much, New South yes. Wales. To our and welcome to our holiday series, guys. We've made it long enough to have a Christmas special. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Enjoying it. May, may I say something to our Australian listener, please? Good eye, mate. Oh, nice. That's nice. That's, that's, that's not going to bother that's, anybody at all. Well, you know, now that I know <laughs> we have an Australian listener, uh, I'm going to get a Foster's. Very nice. I'm going to go ahead and make sure I'm all, I'm all ready to go there for sure. Whoever it is in Australia that's listening, they're sticking around because we've consistently had the same amount of listens week after week in Australia. So thank you, New South Wales. Yeah, thank you, Australia. Have, um, we heard, have we heard from Peru? No, no one's really heard from the entire country of Peru in quite some time. Since uh, my sensual lovemaking via song form, uh, they've, they've ghosted me. They've left me on red. <laughs> that's okay, because I'm going to show up at their work. And I'm going to fake a pregnancy if need be. Okay? Because Peru, I'm never going to let you go. Well, well, Noah, there's actually something I, I need to say to you. Um, you will not be faking the pregnancy. The reason that I was trying to break back into your house is that we're expecting. Mm. Oh, boy. Oh, man. 
Yeah, like a full Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just because that, we should re- we should review the movie Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, no, let's not do that. That's not too bad. I'm adding that to the list right now. Oh, add it to the list. Absolutely. Go ahead and just ignore it as best I can. But at the top of our list is today's film. Uh, As I mentioned in my intro before I started getting angry, it it has been voted in multiple lists as the number one Christmas movie by America. It is Herb Jones, Doc, your choice for the beginning of our Christmas series here. It is 1983's Mm -hmm. A Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, So this is actually a pretty fun episode for me for a couple of different reasons. Uh, You know, this show allows me allows all of us to revisit things that you know we held a certain way in our minds and in reverence or maybe infamy and allows us to as adults uh go back and watch analyze enjoy consume that content um and i approached this particular subject with the idea initially like oh i'm just gonna watch it and enjoy it like i always do and take my thoughts down but i was like yeah yeah you know until up, uh, up until what a couple weeks ago i actually had never met another person who didn't really like the movie until you too i just literally never met a person who said they didn't like it and i'm like huh. so i started asking around and i found obviously more people like than didn't like it but still there were more people than i expected who didn't so for every three people who said they did one person didn't like it so like, that's still fair so i'm like well let me approach this movie because i'm the only person in this group who really enjoys it uh unbiased which is almost impossible but i wanted to approach it like take my childhood memories put it over here and just watch it and i have so much of a different perspective on it now and i appreciate and enjoy it way more in a different way than i ever thought i would which is really cool so i'm glad we're we're covering this so i can talk about it uh but um what do you guys think where are you at on Uh, your childhood I did the exact opposite. Uh, same thing, but he's from the exact opposite thing. It is no secret to anyone uh, that I did not enjoy this movie growing up. Uh, but when I put it on to watch it for our podcast, I tried my hardest to wipe my brain clean of any preconceived notion. And if I wasn't going to watch it for the Christmas aspect, I was going to at least watch it from a film aspect and right. uh, and try to draw a as unbiased as possible conclusion to the film. Uh, spoiler alert, I generally found myself at the same destination that I did, uh, but for different reasons. And that's what's important, as you said, as an adult, looking at it subjectively, uh, you know, I dislike it, but for different reasons, I guess, is the, is the way to go. Mac, how did, how did, how did you view this film and what mindset? I was, I was really looking forward to being the, hopefully the one person on this episode who could shit all over the movie. I was, was really, was really hoping to have that, uh, that beautiful confrontation with you both, <laughs> uh, as I explained to everybody why I, I dislike a Christmas story. Um, but sadly, gentlemen, because as, as we've often said, uh, we are of the same mind. Um, I did take the same approach. um this time around now you know jones i think it's funny and and i don't i don't remember this from when we were roommates and everything you know every christmas on what is it tbs or tnt both tbs it is yeah no you're right it is both um they put this movie on a 24-hour loop 
Mm -hmm. And I will occasionally flick through the channels and I would, you know, catch a few minutes of it. And then I would continue flicking through the channels as I would typically do. But I don't ever remember it being on in the house while we were living together. So I didn't know if this was like a traditional movie that you had watched uh, each year. If maybe it was just something that you kind of watched, uh, you know, more privately than like downstairs in the, in the living room and the shared spaces or anything. But um, I will say that upon my recent watch, because I, I've only, and, and I'll say this, everybody, I've only seen a Christmas story, maybe probably through twice. Uh, this last watch for me was the second time watching it all the way through. Because I, well, because I'm not a fan of it. And I'll explain as we get into it as, as to why I'm really not a fan. But I did look at, I, try, I did try to look at it from a number of different aspects beyond just my own personal preferences as a holiday movie and as a movie of its time. And I didn't dislike it for some of the aspects of the movie, uh, particularly uh, near the end of it where, you know, when, when they actually hit Christmas time. But again, we'll go into that. But I, I will I will say that as I was watching, especially in the first part of the movie, I was reaching for my imaginary remote control like I typically would to turn <laughs> the channel and put something muscle else. Memory. My muscle memory was definitely kicking. I was like, oh, now I remember why I always keep changing the channel when this movie's on. Um, but, um, I, I will have a few things to say that it maybe changed my mind a little bit. Uh, I will preface that I did watch this movie with someone who is a big fan of Christmas story. And, uh, as, uh, as she gets this episode of the podcast, my darling, wonderful, beautiful, better half, Stephanie, uh, who is a major fan of Christmas Story. So I think in that aspect, too, that I wasn't watching it by myself. I was watching with somebody who had a strong um, you know, affection for the movie. It made me see some aspects of it that I didn't react to that she did that maybe made me think, oh, well, maybe this doesn't quite suck balls as much as I think it does. So. Uh, well, with that being said, uh, I'm glad we're all kind of on the same page with our approach. Um, so this movie, uh, released November 18th, 1983, um, modest budget of $3.3 million, uh, opening weekend only made about 2 million, uh, did not set the world on fire, word of mouth, that's a different story, it ended up with a domestic gross of about $20 million, which ain't too bad. Um, no, no, it, it is not a bomb, which is, no, no, um, 1983, when your movie is released in the same, at the same time when anyone is playing jedi in its first <laughs> run uh you're you are lucky to make your money back yeah. i i would like to say how impressed i am about its international total uh jones i don't yeah. know if you had a chance to take a look at that or not but it grossed an estimated thirteen thousand dollars internationally wow yeah, it didn't it, it only it only pushed the needle a little bit with the worldwide uh gross and, and i feel like all of that came from ontario Mm-hmm. Potentially yeah. considering. Um, yeah. so Bob Anything Clark directed the film. Yeah. Um, Bob Clark directed the film. Uh, he also directed uh, Porky's 2, uh, think Rhinestone, I believe, the Sylvester Stallone and Dolly the Parton. The country movie. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Um, it is an experience to try to watch that movie. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I take your word for it. I promise you. Listen, I promise you. Uh, the best way to watch, because this is how I saw Ryan Stone, right? 
uh, the fact that you I, even said I, that sentence. Yes, this is, this is how I saw the movie Rhinestone. <laughs> is that I, you know, we all consider ourselves movie guys, right? And film guys mm-hmm. with a bunch of useless knowledge. And mm-hmm. this is before I met my darling wife. I was flexing about how much I enjoy the film uh, Rocky IV and the movie's Demolition Man and all things Fester Stallone. And this girl that I was chasing around at the time, I was at a party with her and she said, Have you ever seen Rhinestone? And I said, No. And so she breaks out one of those DVDs that had like the folding lip in the cardboard <laughs> case, you know, those girly yeah. DVDs. And she yeah. puts on rhinestone. And the, so the first time and the only time I've ever seen it was in a room full of people who I did not know and never saw again. It's, but I sat through <laughs> rhinestone to be, uh, to be nice. Everything, everything, about that, everything about that experience, though, it sounds like a complete and unmitigated nightmare. Yeah, it was not, it was not great. The movie was not, was not, was not it wasn't like a laugh out loud movie Sylvester Stallone trying to be a country singer just is it a co- is it a comedy is it an actual comedy it's a romantic comedy dramedy was it supposed to be a comedy or did it just end up being funny it was supposed to be a comedy but it was supposed to be a comedy that appeals to southerners in the early 80s so like okay best way to describe it we've both we've all three seen the original blues brothers of course right mm-hmm you know, whenever they go to be the good old boys in that country western bar, the people yeah. in that bar are the target demographic for <laughs> Rhinestone at that uh, era in that okay. setting. Okay. Well, that makes the, the movie looks like the like like a, it reminds me of like a Golden Crow parking lot. Right. <laughs> I hope I hope everybody has their Golden Corral to go box as well. <laughs> oh my god. Before we well, get so, into more facts about the film, though, speaking yes. of being on the same page, what what is everyone drinking this fine oh, evening? Well, Mac, lead us off. Well, everybody, I am drinking a Breckenridge Brewery Vanilla Porter. Mm, that's a good beer. It is good beer. Yes. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the podcast is that I'm trying not to repeat beers. Yes. So um, that is all, you know, giving me the opportunity to make sure I'm continuously expanding my horizons. And as we get into the holiday season, ladies and gentlemen, that means nice, warm holiday beers, which Mm -hmm. um, even beyond Oktoberfest and, you know, pumpkin spice beers, the holiday beers are my absolute favorite. And start breaking into uh, one of my all time favorites, which we'll have eventually on a recording here. Uh, perhaps in one of the next two, I will have one of my favorite Sam Adams winter loggers, which I'm wonderful. Yeah, there you go. But it is very good. I'm enjoying this uh, this immensely right now. It's a good one, Doc. What are you drinking? Uh, usual. Uh, well, not the usual, but uh, one of uh, my bourbons. Uh, I'm just drinking some G and W private stock. Um, just uh, just a little bit, just to get me through the the show, loosen up a little bit. How about yourself? Uh, I'm still working through the basic ass, the bat blue that I bought from my in-laws Thanksgiving and, um, and they have, they didn't drink it. So I have to before Mrs. Brown discovers that I've spent $200 on more beer. Uh, so this is, this is my curse. This is my law. I think she doesn't listen to these episodes. No. Yeah. Oh, she refuses to. She's, she absolutely flat out. She's like, how much I'm like, Oh, you would really like this episode. We did. She's like, okay, so how much do you talk on it? No. Oh, <laughs> what do you mean? It's like, <laughs> what, what? I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> no. So, 
So Noah, do you realize that as you mentioned Labatt Blue over the the airwaves, that the entirety of Canada's penis wiggled a little bit? They yep. don't they don't know why, but they're grateful that it did. Uh, I, I first of all, I I do pride myself on being able to give the fine people of Canada a uh, if not a great white North, then at least a moderate to half stack North. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but uh, but if you're gonna drink a basic beer. Uh, then you must go with a Canadian basic beer, and you must go with the official beer of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Absolutely. That's absolutely required. But we're here now, and thinking of basic things, is there any more basic information we can give our listeners about this film? I did zero precursory yeah. research into this. Uh, that's okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit, but yeah. Um, so, Bob Clark directed the film, uh, the inspiration for the film came from one night he was sometime in the 1960s. He's driving around, uh, listening to the radio, and he comes across a radio show by a guy named Gene Shepard. And this guy, Gene Shepard, is telling these stories about growing up in the 1930s and 1940s. And uh, Clark is just enthralled by these stories because this Shepard guy is very. I actually went back and listened to some of his interviews. Incredibly charismatic, really funny guy. He was on um, Letterman before a couple of times. Uh, pretty famous comedian author, apparently. Um, so anyhow, he was just like enthralled by these stories and knew then as an aspiring, you know, B level director that he wanted to make this movie based on these stories. Cause he, he just loved them so much. He shot the idea around, not a single studio wanted to make it. So fast forward several, several years, Porky's is a hit and now he has leverage. Now, now the dream story he wants to put out, he wants to do MGM says, well, yeah, you could do it, but you gotta do Porky's too. He goes, sure, I'll do it, but I'll do this first. And that's where a Christmas story comes in. Now, a Christmas story, fun fact, uh, is written by a person named Lee Brown, Clark himself, and Shepard. And Shepard is the narrator in the movie. Oh, so there you go. That's, that's like his story of his yeah. youth in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of the places, because uh, the movie takes place in Indiana. Uh, the high school is the same high school he went to school in. I think it's the same town. Uh, so it's uh, a, a lot of like parallels between. Now, there's some things that didn't actually happen in, in, in his life, but a lot of it's just kind of based on that comedic perspective of uh, youthful innocence. Uh, but as far as like little fun facts, I think that's probably the most important part of the story of the making of this movie is that this for the director was kind of a passion project for him, which is pretty cool. And you can tell. One of the positive aspects I, I noted about this movie is that you say whatever you want to say about the movie, positively or negatively, about the performances and everything else in there. Uh, you can tell whoever shot this loved it and and felt it the way they were through it, you know, and the way it was shot and remembered uh, that region and that feeling. Because there's one thing, too, and it's the reason why some of us didn't like the movie when we were younger and some of us love it. This movie does carry with it a feeling. In every frame, in every shot, in every scene, it has soul. It to does. It. So, uh, and that you can absolutely tell. That's a that's a hallmark of a passion project. Is it, there's nothing cookie cutter about it, and yep, that's, that's that's a good point. Well, tip thine hat to that. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize until you know, as, as you mentioned, Jones, uh, when I was doing my research on it, I didn't realize that uh, Bob Clark had directed this because. Um, mm -hmm. And, and gentlemen, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation and it'll probably be something I will suggest for the list. Um, 
I think Porky's is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. And in fact, it has, in what is my opinion, the funniest scene, I think, in the history of comedy. Um, so, you know, not, not that I could even really draw any kind of parallels to this movie to Porky's because they are okay. drastically different. Yeah, they are not um, the same. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting that the, that this gentleman made one of the, you know, just hallmark holiday films in the history of cinema, you know, and, and, uh, that that's really what, you know, whether I like it or not, I, I'm not going to discredit its place in the pantheon. Right. No. I, um, I will later, but right now. Oh yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm just going to be respectful at this point before at this point, I, we haven't gotten fired up about it yet. Before I all hombre Mysterio. So drop my pants all over it. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, oh, yeah, just, real quick. Um, here's a fun fact, actually, just, and you probably already know this Mac, uh, this movie was the inspiration for the wonder years. I did catch that. And <laughs> it makes sense. In fun fact, I love the wonder years. It's a great and, show. And I hate the Wonder Years. In fact, I also I can, I can, I can, it's not surprising. No, when I when I discovered that, I was like, you know what? That makes complete sense. That makes yeah, it really sense. does. Oh, man, it, you it, just it, that vein is just consistent. You absolutely pick something that that childhood Noah dislike more than this movie was the fucking Wonder Years. Oh, How did you not Wonder like the Wonder Years? Wonder every single character. This is something that this movie is going to uh, have in common with the Wonder Years. Nearly every single character in the Wonder Years is a piece of fucking shit and acts <laughs> reacts poorly to every possible fucking situation. And so most they're like all, real people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like real people, which is what I want yeah. to get lost in is real people being <laughs> real people. Especially, you know what? I'm going to pick my microphone up so it's real close to my face. Especially you, fucking Winnie Cooper. You bitch. Ugh. I'm calling it out. There's two types of people in the world. There's people that tolerate useless people like Winnie Cooper and those of us that are trying to bring a change. The revolution will be televised, Winnie Cooper. The revolution will be televised. But anyway, yeah, so yeah. Let's get let's get on to the movie and not the Wonder Years ever again, ever again. Fucking Daniel Stern. So, <laughs> Daniel Stern's like the only saving grace of that show. I know. Nice it, it, no, what I'm saying is, it bothers me that that's where he was getting his paycheck for a while. Right. I was very, I was very upset to know that one of my all-time favorite movie villains from the wet bandits was the fucking narrator city slickers baby <laughs> yeah uh anyway so uh so let's get started with this movie um mm -hmm. so so you know we get the pan and we get the, the opening shot which okay so positive i'm gonna do a compliment sandwich here okay it seemed like i'm not being too angry yet positive the set design is amazing in this movie by set design, they probably just shot in, in actual locations that look like it, but it, you get the feeling of a time era long gone. And oh, Christmas yeah. and this time era. For sure. Long gone. Well, you know, that's um, Cleveland for you, Noah. Yeah. Cleveland has an advance past 1940. Well, it, well I mean, it was not shot in Cleveland place. and in Canada. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But the movie is supposed to take place in an unknown Indiana town, essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I'm going to go ahead and take out some spoiler problems with this movie right away. Um, so two of my problems, here's, here's the meat in the middle of the compliment sandwich, the, the bullshit. Number one, 
uh, is it really pisses me off that this movie opens up in the sequence it does, and then the first two thirds, the next two thirds of the movie take place in a flashback from this first scene, which wouldn't piss me off if we didn't get no less than three dream sequences within a flashback. It's like, what the fuck are you are you trying to do to me narratively here? But most importantly, and the thing that drove me crazy the whole time watching this that I never cared about as a kid was trying to figure out when this movie is supposed to take place. Oh, 1940s. Okay, yes, 1940s, you think. Now, bear with me here on this one, because it drove me so crazy that I did some fucking Sherlock Holmes shit to try to figure this thing out deductively. Now, all the cars look like they were from the 30s and 40s, okay? Um, and you are in the era of Wild West marketing, which puts it post-World War II, and in the opening scene, where they're looking at the Red Rider BB gun and the train set and all the animatronic shit, you see a man and a woman in uh, military dresses, dress stuff. So that would put you post-World War II. However, when we go to Ralphie's school, we see that there are people of color in his school, and Indiana wasn't desegregated until 1949. So, so I, would, I would say, uh, again, taking my childhood glasses off of this movie uh and my adult glasses and putting them on and watching the movie i instantly noticed that probably for the first time ever because yeah. as a kid i didn't give a shit right no like why would i care no uh, i always knew growing up it was an a long time ago type of setting but i didn't really click but i'm watching it the other night and i'm like ah. but i feel the reason that's the case is because who gives a shit mm-hmm I feel like that's probably why that was a thing. I mean, it was and 1983, because... so no one probably ever... I'm not trying to say they were trying to be historically accurate in that regard. I don't but think they were trying me... to be accurate on the level that you kind of were assuming they should be. Well, yes. So what the thing is, is that when you start showing up with all these really nice old cars and you get this old-timey kind of feel, but there is no television, it gave me this weird time frame thing where I just... like. But I couldn't narratively get into the movie until I figured out you're when. You're thinking way too deep into that one, yeah. but I, I see what you're saying. I'm trying to enjoy this from a filmmaking aspect, not from how it makes me feel, because I started to feel terrible about it the moment that I got to see <laughs> the goddamn A Christmas Story come across my fucking screen. So I'm trying to help myself out here. So I narrowed it down so I can try to keep reminding myself to this, that this movie by or has to take place between 49 and 51, because that's when TV was launched in that area of the country. And people would have stopped listening to the radio and started watching cowboy shows on television. So let's, for the sake of all intents and purposes, say 1949 to 1950 for this movie. I mean, because yes. I'm going to back up until you say something that pisses me off. Uh, so I think the beginning of the movie uh, is one of the weaker points. But I actually, again, I thought that before. Now, going back and watching it, I actually really appreciate it more than I thought I would. Uh, the scene where they were in Higby's looking through the glass, I always thought was kind of silly. I just, I mean, who cares about that? But then realized that's that's very parallel with me as a kid looking in the Hills magazine, right? I didn't go to like Kaufman's downtown on Smithfield. I didn't do that. That's what people did a long time ago. But I had the Toys R Us book, the KB Toys book, I had the Hills book, the Ames book. And I would, I don't know about you, but I would go through and flip through all the pages and I would circle the things that I yeah. wanted that I probably would never get. For nope. Christmas, but I would always circle them and, and magically find a way to make them put them close to my parents so they know that I want the power rules and I never got. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's what that made me think about. I'm like, ah, that's, that's that feeling, like fantasizing over that toy 
one thing, and that's like a lot of this movie for me, uh, again, looking at it now, um, is it's the mind of a child, right? It's the imagination yeah. of a child. Like one of the one of the coolest points of this film that I realized never noticed before is that like when you're a kid, when you're young, because Ralphie's supposed to be like nine or so years old, when you're young, six, seven, eight years old, like you know your parents, you know them pretty well at this point. Uh, you have a working knowledge of who they are as people. You know they have names. You don't call them by their names unless you're a piece of shit. Um, you. That's just mom and dad. In the movie, yeah. it's just the old man and mother, right? You never get, you get one side of the parents. Really, you get you get Ralphie's perspective on the world, and I really appreciate that's the version you get. The, it, a old man's name could have been Paul for all we know. It doesn't matter because he's just the old man. Like I don't I don't think I've ever called my dad Herb ever. I never will. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's his dad. Um, I, I just, it's, I just thought that was really interesting that like, I ever noticed how much of this is just from the perspective of a nine-year-old. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I, I, going back to that opening scene, Jones, uh, do you notice that Ralphie is when he's looking through the window and he's trying to position himself so he can see the BB gun that he's actually reading, you can see when he's mouthing at the window that he is yeah, mouthing this script that's on the sign of the BB gun uh, as he just starts to just really go down that, that rabbit hole of that gift. And mm, no, I didn't. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of picked up on that and, and uh, did a little bit of research and was able to kind of confirm it. I was like, what was he mouthing there? I was like, is that, and then kind of caught it. Um, but I, I think, you know, as you said, no, I'll, I'll kind of give it a positive piece here. Um, you know, we all had that toy as a kid that we all wanted that was out of reach. You know, it was always seemingly you want it. You maybe ask for it every year. It's a pipe dream. But there's that hope, that Christmas hope that you might get that gift. And, you know, watching this again through a second time and, and trying to look at it from a, a, an objective point of view, um, that was something that I was able to kind of like, you know, I can relate to that, you know, and, and like you said to Jones about just the Hills catalog and, you know, for, for my mom, she'd always get the Kaufman's catalog or the Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those things were like encyclopedias and mm -hmm. there's three quarters of that mm -hmm. thing that meant absolutely nothing to you. And you just hope, <laughs> no, no, if you guys went straight to the toy section, if you, if you got those to like double sided pages, yeah, they were everything, everything. And and they were and and it was always great because they had all the toys laid out, you know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like oh well, here's a Ninja Turtle and here's a Ghostbuster. Yeah, you're right. It was it did, a it was a fucking scene. Hope Express, right? With, with vehicles and action, and it just wasn't like pumping you up that these are the toys you could get. These are the stories you could kind of tell. And I did like mm -hmm. that aspect. You know, when you're talking about Noah about the the dream sequences within the flashback. Um, I could relate to that too, just mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't know about you guys as you've gotten older, Christmas to me almost seems like a fucking blitz anymore as an adult, right? A little bit, yeah. But, but as a kid, 
it was the longest like month of my life from <laughs> yep. December. It was the leave. most important day of the year outside of oh, your birthday. Just oh, every, yeah. oh, everything, sure. everything surrounded Christmas, but it also felt like it just took forever to get there. And then once you got there and you're on break from school and everything, it still felt like it lasted forever. Oh my God. I was, I was just thinking about that when we did the Nintendo 64 episode, because I got a 64 for Christmas and uh, it felt like I played that game for like 40 hours on Christmas Day, you know, and then all week I had sun up to sun down just all the time in the world to play the N64 and yeah. it never went away. And now uh, it seems like if I get uh, a couple of days off in a row, I'll wake up, I'll make myself eggs. And before I realize it, it's five days later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck happened? Yeah. Um, and, but and I, that kind of goes back to like I'm gonna to me the theme of this movie now because I'm gonna I should have prefaced this earlier. I grew up watching this movie uh, every year like it was just that's what we did. We only watched it once a year like it was never like a thing where like we watched it a bunch of times. It was just like Christmas Eve, my sister and I and my mom would sit and watch it, have a good time, and then time for bed. Um. And then from like ages probably like 11 to now, I would watch it, but not watch it. Like I would, wouldn't really pay attention to it because I was so it used to on. it. But like I wasn't digesting it anymore, which is why sitting and really watching it. My, well, Allie and I, my wife, we sat and watched it the other night. Um, really was fascinating. And like the theme of it's the perspective, it's that. It is this long journey. Everything's when you're everything's the most important thing ever in that moment. There's a line. There's a couple lines that I thought were fucking spectacular that I didn't I had no recollection of, but now make total sense to me and as an adult. It is the one scene after he gets like beat up by the by uh Farkas. what was his name? Farkas. Farkas. Yeah, Farkas. Scud, Scud Farkas. And he says in the jungles of Kiddom, the mind shifts shifts gears rapidly. And I'm like, because that's when he like went and saw the the um, the thing in the mail. Like he, it's like everything was awful, not anymore. And like mm -hmm. that's what it's like to be a kid. Like I remember that. Like you'd be having the worst day ever at school. You come home and there's a present waiting for you, or there's something going on, and you totally forgot about everything that just happened at school. <laughs> and your your brain has now gone to something else, tunnel vision somewhere else. There's just some really cool lines that like really give you the. Again, the perspective of a nine-year-old—it's just pretty cool. So, so there are there are some films that are made that are very quintessential American films, right? About the American experience, and you know, I think *Christmas Story* kind of falls into that category. Now, Jones, yeah. as your wife being somebody not born here. What was her perspective on the movie? Did That's she have question. any kind of affinity for it? That uh, she seen, seen, like seeing it. Like what? What was her? What were her thoughts? Uh, she had seen it before. She didn't remember how long ago she had seen it before. But she had seen it before. Uh, so we sat and we watched it, and <clears throat> she loved it. Uh, she thought it was cute, and it was a fun movie. I actually proceeded to tell her that you guys didn't like it. And she was so baffled. Like, how could they not like this movie? It's, it's just fun. It's like a, it's a warm hearted, lighthearted film about a kid. And I'm like, I know, but to each their own, um, there's some parts that she didn't like. And that's, and, and here's the thing. 
glad she and I talked about. I'm glad she and I talked about this because we're going to talk about this. I'm not even sure how much of this movie we're really going to break down outside of like the overarching themes because there's something you said, Noah, that I thought was really telling, very specifically to me, um, via text message the other day. You said there's no relatable characters at all, and so relatable to me obviously means relating to you. You cannot connect with any of them. I, however, 100% can. My upbringing was very different from yours, I think, in that regard. So my wife says to me, after we watched the movie, she's like, you know what I really didn't like? Like, the one thing she really didn't like was how Ralphie, upon getting in the fight, thinks that his dad is going to kick his ass, basically, for getting in a fight and swearing and all this stuff. He's laying in bed, he's crying, he's scared, he's waiting to hear that car coming up the hill. And she didn't like that because she's like, no one should ever be afraid of their father. And I said, well, dads have that effect on you, you know. But her dad was, was a different, she was the princess, it was different. See, me, my dad was a very intimidating guy. He's a big dude. He was the disciplinarian. He was the spanker. He was the whole nine yards. I had been in that position before. Got in trouble at school. Something happened. And I would, my mom would say, go to your room. Wait till your father gets home. We all know that feeling. And I would just lay there, lay, just staring at the ceiling, for, waiting for impending doom, thinking my dad's going to throw me out of a window or something. Like... I connect with that so deeply because it was there. Like, I experienced those feelings. And I think it's just cool to, to see that on cinema. Um, and again, looking back at it now, I didn't realize how much I connected with it. Now as an adult going, yeah, yeah, I know what Ralphie's going through. I know that. And then hearing the car coming up the street, I know that feeling too. I know exactly what that's like. And you're like, ah, shit. <laughs> you know, but... Um, but yeah, she really enjoyed it. She, uh, I wouldn't say she loved the movie or anything like that, but she really enjoyed it. And uh, normally, I can tell if she's not really digging it. She starts playing on the phone, stuff like that. But she was laughing, chuckling with the movie. You know, I was actually pretty surprised. I thought she wouldn't like it, like as much as she did. So I, I want to, as we get into the movie, I, I just want to kind of preface here for the audience. Um, and and you know, if anybody's in South America, please check on Peru. <laughs> I'm I'm yeah. really I'm really concerned at this point. I hope I hope it's okay. You know, I hope uh, I hope <laughs> nobody knocked the plug out of the wall by accident. You're just Boy. not sure why. <laughs> not sure why it's not been plugged back in. But somebody, please just drive by. Just see if the lights are on. You know, just be sure. Check in. Um, I didn't just check see, in. Just check in. <laughs> I didn't see Christmas Story as a child. It was never something that we watched in my household. We had a whole different slew of Christmas movies that my, that my family that my family wanted to watch. So like I never what? saw. Um, well, so my pinnacle of holiday cheer is um, Christmas Vacation. Um, I that that is the traditional move. Well, exactly, Jones. Yeah, I watched that as a kid. Uh, so I mean, it's okay. That should explain a few things. <laughs> I don't um, think it's that great. Um, I I still howl at that movie every time I watch it. Oh, the movie's it. hilarious. It's yeah. so it's so funny. Can I say I don't feel like Chevy Chase is very funny? Oh, he's not. He's absolutely not funny. Like he's uh, not funny under any circumstances. However, uh, the people who make these movies know exactly how to take dry ass saltine cracker style chevy chase <laughs> if a saltine cracker was really mad at bill murray for absolutely unfounded reason, oh my god it would be yeah. chevy chase right chevy chase. and they take the saltine cracker and they put it in fucking amazing 
roles. That's why Randy Quaid steals the entire fucking movie the minute he steal- shows up in that movie and in every other vacation movie he's in because Chevy Chase needs someone wetter than him to be in a movie. See Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble or Spies Like Us, right? right. See every other fucking Chevy Chase movie. Now, it works because Chevy Chase is so big and tall and like an unfunny, saltine, cracker, jolly green, giant, angry man uh, that it works because they figure out how to use him. But no, I would tell you, I would absolutely say that I can simultaneously agree that Chevy Chase is not funny, but his films are absolutely enjoyable. And for, and, and because of that. I well, I, I was going to say, uh, so I, I will disagree with you uh on on the comedic genius that is chevy chase because i do think that there is genius there because he well you are right he does play the everyman in the movies that he's in um and you know you got to keep in mind too there's a point in the 80s where chevy chase is probably one of the greatest leading men huge huge box office yeah but i think I, I, I disagree where there isn't a, where he's just a salting cracker. I think that there is a, a rhythm and a cadence that he plays to, which is where his comedic timing is. Uh, it's a little bit of the everyman, but also a little bit of an arrogant jackass. Oh, full on arrogant. Yeah. Everyman. Yeah. But because of that, he allows those larger than life characters to be able to play out. And that's not an easy thing to do. And, and, you know, but, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure one day talk about uh, you know Christmas Vacation or any of the vacation movies and in, in those mm, regards. Absolutely, I but, think. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just yeah. I was just going to say I think that for next year's holiday series, yeah, uh, I think we could we could invest in some other. There's some other Christmas oriented films that we absolutely need to talk about next year. I think Vacation's one of them. I'm just going to go ahead and drop it right now. We absolutely need to talk about Jingle All the Way, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Uh, just for the sake of fucking talking about that movie, right? Just, just, just because I feel like we're, we've, we were covering films with uh, that each of us have unique emotional investments to this year. Next year, we should we should cover some different things. Well, and and we are covering my. We will be talking about my all time favorite Christmas movie, and I will say it again: my all time favorite Christmas movie, which is taking place at Nakatomi Tower, Christmas party. Welcome to the party, pal just just as we'll as we'll say uh-huh. that's, that's going to be that, that is my all-time number it one is. and christmas vacation is my number two i have a i have a theory a mutual friend of ours mikey v who would probably never listen to this podcast so i can i can mention his name um he recently posted his his ten, top 10 christmas movies of all time and he makes it a real big point to put this movie christmas story on there next week's movie scrooged on there but makes it a super point to point out that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. To which, first of all, Mike, you're fucking wrong. Like a, a lot of things, you're just fucking wrong. But here's my theory, and we'll save it for the day that we cover this other movie. If you don't consider Die Hard a Christmas movie, and you don't consider Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie, and you don't consider what I think is the best Christmas movie ever made, Rocky IV, a Christmas movie, then Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Because those three those four movies all take place at christmas they feature modern christmas sequences but the plot is not driven by christmas at all no one learns a christmas lesson the movie could have taken place in all four movies could have have taken place in the middle of july and it wouldn't make any difference to the plot however we easily call home alone a christmas movie but we don't call die hard or rocky for a christmas movie we will break that down in the die hard episode 
but like you mac my we never watched a christmas story growing up as a kid uh occasionally it would come on tv and it would be there in the background but the movie always weirded me out i never liked the the feeling of it as a kid but that's not the vibe of those comedy movies a christmas vacation was one of them uh uh and of course next week's movie which is my favorite christmas movie of all time not the best but my favorite is scrooge that's the that's the vibe that happened in my house on on christmas so yeah we were we were scrooged christmas vacation um i was huge on home alone as a kid oh it's a fun you movie know. fun as hell yeah hmm. um and then as i've I've, kind of, I've opinions about home alone but we'll oh well I, again um <laughs> i'm just i'm just dropping you know movie names here but but that was the thing is that christmas story was never in the rotation so I didn't see this until I was in my early 30s. I think, Jones, it was probably after the time that you had moved out and right about the time that Ryan had moved out. And this was really when I was finally living like on my own for the first time. And then mm -hmm. it's, it's around Christmas time. We'd already done the family stuff. And I'm just sitting at the house. I'm like, all right, Christmas story is on. Fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and give this a shot. And then like 10 minutes into it, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> am i watching and why does and i think my point too wasn't even necessarily what am i watching but i was trying to wrap, wrap my head around like you know when i watch a film i really look for something to grab onto mm -hmm. something that's going to draw me in that's going to hook me um and christmas story just didn't have it and i'm thinking to myself people fucking blow this movie at christmas time and 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 like they're on their knees they're working the shaft they're cradling the balls they're taking the gravy i mean it's it's hardcore and and i'm just like eh, i mean yeah i mean it's i know the bb gun and i know the 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 bunny onesie and the tongue to the pole and like i know i know the points i, I know the hits but it just, it wasn't, it didn't grab me on that emotional level. And I do think that part of the reason that it didn't is that I didn't see it as a kid. You know, I, I do think that the movie through the lens of a child at, at that age or around that age probably gives you a greater level of connectivity to the, the, the theme of the movie than maybe seeing it as an adult with, you know, maybe more jaded eyes at that stage of my life. So... Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why I just don't kind of grab onto it like everybody else does. Just the time in life when I saw it. But, you know, like you said too, Jones, the, 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 relate, the relatability of, of laying in bed waiting for your dad to come home. Now, I, yeah. got a, I had a different feeling about that because, like, there are a few points in the movie, and I don't think they mean to do this on purpose, but I kind of get some ideas because he just refers to him as the old man, not, yeah, the old man, not yeah. his dad, not his father that there's some level of like emotional disconnect between oh, like, maybe him and definitely mm -hmm. and, and there's, thinking, there's so much to that yes well but that's the thing that i'm thinking is that like what kind of a man really was the old man and you watch that of, movie oh yeah take a second and think about this first oh no again, I've, I've i've thought about it i'm 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 serving up here so you guys can take it but the, the layers to these characters right i think is yeah. really fascinating uh, again, never really paid attention to it. Yeah. Like, if you really sit and you're watching the movie and you're looking at the old man, he spends most of the beginning of the movie paying zero attention to what's going on. Just He's reading, buried in his newspaper, talking about bullshit newspaper. no one cares about. Right. Meanwhile, the disheveled, robe-laden mom, mother, 
is handling the housework, getting shit done, right? Hasn't oh, yeah. had a warm meal in 12 in 15 years. years. 15 years, that's it. Yeah, 15 right? years. There, there is so much, but you see a spark of energy, of life, when he wins that major award, right? Like, I think when I was a kid, I thought that the old man was like probably my least favorite character of the whole film. He's not my favorite because he went, like, he had like a strange journey he went on from being a disassociated father. I mean, he's, you know, breadwinner, he, you know, fixes things. He battles the boiler or the furnace in the basement, swearing and mumbo jumbo to having all this energy, this youthful exuberance when he gets this major award, right? It's the only thing he really seems like he really cares about. And, yeah. to, and to watch, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I absolutely picked that up as well um i he always i mean you can i'm not going to criticize a fictional character's parenting unless it's awful and i think the idea that we as society have gone past hopefully to a certain point of a disc like in order to have a functioning family unit in this time the 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 male figure is the disconnected father the mother is the overworked completely over uh over invested yeah. uh caretaker and the children are off in their own world that being said, um, you can see, I think the character, he has two moments of purely genuine ex positive excitement in this movie. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think it speaks well to the character's depth that I never caught before. One is when he gets the lamp, because this is a moment where, sure, it's weird because when people are disconnected, you kind of generally assume they're selfish, right? Because they're off in their own world. But I think he's just so concerned with those momentary breaks and beating the shit out of a furnace fending off a roving pack of dogs yeah, that that's when he becomes alive not with his yeah. kids not yeah, with it's his a moment wife. that he's he's genuinely excited uh for himself in he's that generally mm -hmm. excited when the dog's tail is stuck in the door and the dog is screeching yeah i mean that thing that's that's part of the thing <laughs> i mean like he's like oh the the dog is being abused and in pain <laughs> he's like, like huh like, and that was teacher think about think about it I, here's another thing that I think is interesting, outside of the fact that the Bumpus' dogs have their own theme, which is amazing, but that you're right. The old man, and again, here's the thing. You're only seeing the old man through the eyes of the nine-year-old. You don't see really anything other than what Ralphie really sees. Now, there are some scenes where we get to see different characters existing without Ralphie in the room, but that needs to happen, of course. But you're really just seeing the old man as Ralphie saw him as a nine-year-old, or maybe how he still sees him, right? Or how Gene Shepard saw his dad, right? Yeah. Uh, you get to see mother, how Gene Shepard saw his mom, because these are stories about him growing up, effectively. I um, think narratively, Christmas Day happens, and that's where you start to see the characters separate themselves from Ralphie's perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. Because that's when you see the majority of the mom and dad interacting without anybody else. They're in the kitchen with the with the turkey. They're at the end of the movie, sitting in the chair watching the snow. So I think it's mm -hmm. almost like Ralphie gets to the finish line, and you get to see characters how how they look. The other point I was going to make about it was the only other time you see the dad genuinely emotional. And it's the most heartwarming part of the whole movie is how excited he is for Ralphie to find the gun. Yeah, it really stands I, out. It it's, does. It, that's the most powerful scene in the movie for as much as i disliked a large portion of this movie when i got to that scene regardless of the fact that i felt myself roll my face hurt from rolling my eyes so many times when i got to that point in that movie i was invested and i and i felt the dad's happiness and there's that actor nailing it 
and that 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 whole thing and he's doing that yes like the little motions yes. like he's excited for the kid to experience it and that's that was it was a moment of genuine in that but see i i i will i will disagree with you slightly about the fact that you don't get to see the characters really participate outside of ralphie's perspective because i think especially in the first act of the movie you really get that the that the mother is subservient like majorly subservient to you know yeah. father and and that you know she is not able to really express a whole lot she's always having to get up and get everybody's food at dinner time yeah. nobody's getting it for themselves yeah. when the leg lamp shows up she wants to express how much she likes it but she's almost afraid to i, I just oh, how much she hates it well, yeah she, she hates it oh, no i know she hates it but like she can't she she really can't vocalize it in yeah. really any way um and and i get a weird feeling that you know was how how really stern was the old man as a father was he was stern? clearly very stern was <laughs> i mean are we talking stern at the level of just being abusive to his family that they portrayed him in such a way i mean the fact and another part that really stood out to me was that not only was ralphie concerned as you know anybody is when when dad's coming home you think you're be in trouble but like his brother was was hiding under the sink that, yep. and, and 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 daddy's gonna kill ralphie daddy's gonna kill ralphie right and it's like well it, what you know what, what other things were going on in this life where they would really get that impression that he was gonna kill his son i, I don't you know, know if you know what, what the world was like for people back oh then. no i i, I like, do i do uh, disciplining yeah. wasn't just getting smacked in the back of the head or a, a, a spanking here or there yeah uh but uh, i will i will i will reference you to um the Ralphie swearing and then, you know, lying about where he got it from and listening to his friend's mom murder his friend. And you can hear her having an out of body experience beating the hell out of this poor child. That's, that's the, that's the other note I wanted to add in about, and this, we'll segue this into a, a thing about Ralphie, but this is about the dad's authoritarianism, which I guess is a lot of ways that when you look at a, 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 a loved abusive figures in both film and in real life, is that you mm -hmm. see the positive of them and the hyper gentleness when they want to be. And then the, the fear is that Ralphie was so afraid of his dad that mm -hmm. when the keen opportunity that he could honestly just be truthful and admit that he'd heard fuck from his dad before, but he ten, wouldn't say ten, it. Ten times a day. Yes, 10 times oh, yeah. a day, which is like, you almost like think the mom just wanted him to say the dad. So <laughs> she knew, did. right? Because obviously <laughs> she heard it too, if Ralphie heard it. But, mm -hmm. uh, but that he was so terrified not to tell his mom the truth, that her own husband is the one that says the word, that he would sell his friend to a vicious beating down the river because he's probably terrified that just by telling the truth, he himself would be in store for a vicious beating. Yeah. So the dad's a complex character, loving father figure on one end, uh, abusive warmonger on the other, and animal oh. user. Let's not forget about that. And a little fun note, uh, Jack Nicholson was originally slated to play that character. That would fit. Uh, but it would have been interesting i'm not sure how that would have played out oh, but it would have been Nicholson, real interesting that, that was what jack nicholson did in 1983 he terrorized women for they were the studio was worried that he would uh his his price was too high they would have doubled the basically the, the budget of the film so but i think honestly mcgraw did a uh, mccavin did a better better job anyhow honestly can you imagine the joker being also the father 
in a Christmas story. <laughs> like, can you wrap yourself around that a little no. bit? Like he's no. just sitting there like lustfully looking at the turkey in the film being like, <laughs> wait, do you get a load of me? You know? <laughs> like I, I it, that that that's I that, that, that was so trippy about that, right? Like, um, but, but I often wonder, too, it's like, yeah, would it have doubled the budget of the film? Yeah. Would it probably doubled the receipts because Jack fucking Nicholson was in 1983? it? 1983? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, th- I, think, I think a better casting job was made, honestly. Well, let's, it, um, it fits. It fits the, it really does. the narrative, yeah. And let's move on to the other parental figure, the mom, uh, <laughs> who I maintain is the only decent person in this entire goddamn movie, is the mom. Uh, and she even she's an asshat for a lot of the movie, but she's the only person who doesn't really sell anybody out uh, to save her own ass in the movie, which literally almost every character does in this movie. But the mom sells somebody out to save their own ass, uh, except so, the little brother. We'll cover it in a second. So, but isn't that what people do? Yeah, but again, here's the thing: is that this is supposed to be a Christmas family movie, not a fucking diehard ghetto drama about the rigors of human existence in a post-war Indiana Lake Why Michigan can't it be? I mean, because Why it's can't fucking it be? not. It's like, okay, well, you know, Turner and Hooch could be an existential commentary on post-modernism in a fucking late-setting uh, neo-noir cop film, but it's fucking not. It's about Tom Hanks and a fucking dog, Jones. Okay? This uh, a Christmas Story show. is about some guy's experience growing up. Now, whether you find it funny or not doesn't really matter. This is a story that they wanted to tell you know what i mean like i see what you're saying but you're over you're overselling it a little bit like you're you're the point you're making is valid but at the same time these characters don't have to adhere to what you think they're supposed to be of course not uh but whether you whether i like it or you like it they are in fact who they are and the story is told through again through the eyes of a child well, yes, we only get to see we, we children are selfish. They, are. What, they only think about themselves. I guess what I'm saying is that in a, in a, in a film, and this could go into how I feel about the film In a film that uh, when I watch a Christmas movie, especially one that I don't expressly consider a drama, I would like a relatable uh, concept or at least something that would make me feel good and generally that means a relatable character that isn't a piece of shit that i can follow their journey or learning the spirit of christmas no one in this movie learns the spirit of christmas no uh, uh, with the exception of the mom everybody goes through their own insane horseshit and i guess it ends to the idea that there is only but one decent and against henceforth relatable character in this film and it is the mom who is a downtrodden stereotypical housewife which by the way for a film that I, again, have mentioned takes place in 1949-1950, that woman has maybe the most 1983 perm in the history of cinema. Like, <laughs> you could, could have slapped something on there to try to... Because immediately, I just think Saturday Night Fever. When Listen, I see the, the production budget went into, you know, outfitting the kitchen, man. It didn't go into hair and makeup. <laughs> I mean, for most of the movie, people are wearing hats outside, so... <laughs> Right. Yeah, a lot of side parts right. on the Good point. Yeah, but she got that full Kate Capshaw Temple of Doom look. Oh, going she on. absolutely has Kate Capshaw Temple of Doom. Yeah, for yeah, sure. 
took me out of it but she's she's very sweet the only thing i actually know it let me piggyback off that real quick here before i let you go i almost there are times i'm looking at this where i thought it was kate capshaw from temple of doom yeah like it was taller than kate yeah i mean there was a lot to that but go ahead yeah no i was gonna say so she's 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 pretty much in my opinion the only decent character in the movie and but i just want to point out i'm gonna bring up my notes so i can see exactly how i wrote it down is and it's satisfying to me because i don't like ralphie in the entire movie but she is a decent person who's just trying to get through the goddamn day into the <laughs> bottom of all yes. the situations right uh that shows no real maliciousness until the bunny zoo she knows he hates it she knows oh, that no human being would want to be in that but she makes him do it because all the shit Ralphie makes her do. And just for a minute, <laughs> she gets her shit going on. Well, I, I will disagree with you there, Noah. I think that she is actually the catalyst of the most malicious moment of the entire film. Do tell. She fucking broke the leg lamp. Don't think that she didn't. No, God, that's the, that's the plot was fantastic. She, I, mean, she, I accidentally bumped it while I was whoops. watering the flat. Please. She swung her water basin right into it. (laughs) Maliciously and calculatedly destroyed that lamp to the point of no return. Now I would agree. I would I would agree with that. But however, I do like how they could have shown her do that. But in order to keep the mom, which I'm sure is the the Gene saw his own mother, in a lot of ways we see our own mothers, right? To keep the mom with the angelic status left it up to speculation because ralphie didn't see her break the lamp so we don't see her who did it what happened what happened happened? like in the narrator and the narrator is probably one of the best parts of this whole film in terms of just selling things right like and this moment went on infamy my family for decades to come like it's like yeah we all have those stories we all have those narrator we all is the second best performer in this whole movie he does such a great job yeah. And and I had such a problem with the narrator because his voice did not line up for me in my mind of how old he should be when he was telling the story. Like he sounded to me like he was telling this in his late late sixties, early seventies to his oh, grandkids. Yeah. But I feel like that this was because I mean it was it was clearly the narrator was clearly positioned to be similar to the narrator that we would get from like Frosty the Snowman and you know like some of those Christmas movies that we got as well, kids. Well, I mean, the narrator is the writer of the movie. It is no, Gene know, Shepard. No, I know, but I'm yeah, just but saying like... Yeah, but as far as the, the tonal... And, the, yeah. the, the, the tone of how he was saying everything. I mean, that's how um, the man talks. Yeah. Um, but without but, us knowing it, that that's this, this okay. real guy. And, I'm yeah, just dude, letting you know. Yeah, so. no, yeah, and yeah, and I put that together, but I, I'm agreeing with you, Dave, just kind of kind of spin what you're saying, is that the tone of it sounds like this is a weird professional guy they got, not a real guy telling that story. Without that, knowing that in there, uh, it just comes off as like, he is neither, hello there, and welcome to Frosty's Land, or or super old man. It, it, to me, just to kind of piggyback, it is half Daniel Stern from Wonder Years and half Peter Falk from Princess Bride. Yes. Right? yeah i agree right in the middle i agree yeah Yeah, that's a good that's a good pull um yeah but the narrator's like his his voice and i know what you're saying jones because again i was aware that it was the the writer that it just it didn't tonally it just didn't fit and i was having trouble placing how old he was telling the story 
because it didn't seem to me like this seems to me a story that I would tell my kids, like what Christmas was like growing up in our household and what your grandma and grandpa were like and things like that. Not like um, it sounded to me like it was those grandfather telling it to his grandkids or something. And it was just giving me a difficulty kind of pinpointing the, the time frame in which this was going on. Um, you know, and, and talking about a lot of the, the problems you had with it narratively know about when it's actually taking place. I get hung up um, on shit like that. And I know that's my own thing. Right. But that's one of those types of things in movies. You know, where the, like, you know the 1980s didn't give a fuck about that. The 1980s no, were just no, happy it, to it, one of those things. Like when I see people, cause I think it, it's just not the sidebar at all, but I was always under the impression, like, like my brain like sees when it's a movie about disco, right? Uh, my brain says late 70s, right? But a lot of disco movies take place in the early 80s. So it always fucks with me. Uh, movies like that or that are quote unquote the 60s, a lot of that stuff like Led Zeppelin and that whole Dazed and Confused, that's early 70s, not late 60s. And it fucks with me. So I find sometimes if, I, if I'm not super driven by something, I focus on a minutia thing. When was this movie made? What, what, what era? What am I supposed to be feeling and thinking? Please continue. I'm sorry. That's my own hang up. But she she fucking dropped that leg lamp like the aliens dropped the Empire State Building and Independence Day. Mm -hmm. She did it without mercy. She didn't give a shit. People were on the roof dancing and welcoming them. She found her moment when the furnace was on the fritz again to go ahead and strike. That's right. Well, this woman, this poor downtrodden woman has nothing in this world except that house and that family. And now she has to display this this lamp, which I want to talk about the lamp here in a second, uh, in her front window, and the entire neighborhood knows about it, and she's embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> and she drops that leg like Hulk Hogan in 1987. That's what she fucking does. But I want to mention the lamp. Here's a detail about the lamp I never noticed, and I apologize if anyone else has always noticed this, and I, this is just new to me, but I picked it up for the first time watching this. We all know the iconic leg lamp with the stockings, right? I never noticed the bottom quarter of the ass cheek until now. It's like the full bottom quarter of the ass cheek. I never noticed it. And at that point, I'm like, okay, because like a leg, what the fuck is sexy about a disembodied leg unless you're a fucking (laughs) Not much. But all of a sudden you add 25% of a disembodied ass and now you're talking. Right. Well, the the leg lamp was so much so that it actually gave the movie a mild sexual rating. If you look on like websites like IMDB today or Metacritic or things like that, yeah. when we talk about the things of the movie, it's there's a mild sex appeal to it because of that fucking lamp. Mm. That's pretty cool. I, I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. I was like, Audience "Where's their amazing. sexual themes?" And oh, it's because there's some ash cheek on the. There's, a, there's some cheek there. There's some, there's cheek, some cheek. Audiences in 1983 so starved for anything that the ass cheek of a plastic lamp. They're, they're like, "Oh shit, yeah." Picture, well, picture the other half of that lamp, right? I, I do like, I do like when Ralphie goes to like put his hand up the leg a little bit, and the mom smacks it away. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like, you yeah. There? <laughs> Ralphie knows where the cookies are at. I'm saying that. Like, he's yes, he That's funny. Um, well, speaking of Ralphie, I'm gonna get my feelings out there, and I want you guys to get in here. Uh, 
I guess if I had to sum up my feelings about our main central character, this young boy on this journey of getting what he's wanted and dealing with society and nondescript olden times Indiana, the only real way I can describe my feelings to the character is, fuck you, because he's a piece of shit, okay? Uh, I don't like him. I don't like his motivations. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his face. I don't like his side part. And I have a side part right now, and I don't like him, okay? I don't like anything about it. I don't like anything about him or the way he conducts himself, the way he talks to his mother. The only thing that redeems Ralphie slightly to me, and it's not enough to full-on do it, is the only character in this movie that I dislike more than Ralphie is his shitty little brother, who... Oh, Randy's uh, Randy. little asshole. Yeah, a little Randy. I feel like I'm not, I, I, I do not, Ralphie's a piece of shit for leaving his little brother behind waddling like a turtle a bunch of times, but I don't blame him. That being mm. said, I yeah, got don't. satisfaction watching that little shit suffer in the fucking pink bunny suit, knowing that he went through all the shit out. And I actually, I it brought me dark joy to see him shoot his eye out in the finale of the movie. Uh, you know, you're, it, it absolutely came came to pass, and it worked for me. I'm just pissed he got away with it. Oh, he he sold it so hard. I, I have my feelings about that scene, but uh, I'll so, save that. How do you feel about Ralphie? Doc. Yeah, good. Yeah, good, Doc. Uh, well, I mean, Ralphie's... Our, our perspective in this movie. I mean, I don't love the character i definitely don't dislike the character i've never really connected with the character outside of the character's motivations uh because like all children you just want your shit. <laughs> you want your bag you want your toys you don't give a shit about anybody else but yourself uh even when you're being unselfish you're still being selfish children especially at nine years old have a really difficult time with being selfless for the right reasons um but i think that the best part of areas i think the best part of ralphie's character uh is his imagination um his overactive imagination um you know i don't know about you guys but as a kid you know i'd sit in class and daydream about the x-men busting through a wall and saving the day from magneto i still do uh, you know, my um, watch it's been Magnetized. Magnetized. That's right. I think about that literally every fucking day. <laughs> I, uh, but, uh, but, but in all seriousness, I think, um, I think Ralphie is a very real character. Like a very real, this is how a kid, the kid wants his goddamn toy. And he wants the one thing. Listen, if I had any inc inclination as a child that I could have somehow convinced my parents to hook or crook to get me a Power Wheels, I'd have fucking done it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have no shame. I'm not going to sit up and say I wouldn't have done it. I would have fucking done it. Um, mm -hmm. I actually appreciate Ralphie's gangster with trying to put subtle hints in his mom's book and so in his own magazine because that yeah. that's smart shit that a, that a kid would do. Um, I think uh, uh, Ralphie's just uh, he's just a fucking kid who's trying to get his bag, man. And uh, I can't fault him for that. Uh, is he selfish? Yep. Uh, is he ungrateful? Yep. Because um, that's what kids do. That's what kids are. They don't know how to be thankful. Not really. They say thank you. Do they even know what that even means when they're a kid? No. They do it because we tell them to. I mean, realistically. 
Um, but uh, I can connect to Ralphie getting the gun for Christmas. I never got a fucking. I had no interest in having a fucking gun growing up, like a BB gun or a pellet gun. Same. But I, I, I did want a slingshot as a kid, and my mom was like, "Nah, not nah, it's not happening." Uh, and my dad snuck and gave me a slingshot <laughs> because he had one growing up, and it was like one of those legit, like professional slingshots that children are not supposed to have. Mm-mm. Hunting slingshot, uh, yeah. And I fucking had one, and I used the shit out of it in the backyard, in the alleyway. My, the dad's only rule was no animals, which, why the fuck would I do that? I'm not a sociopath. He just wanted um, to make sure you didn't turn into one. Mm, yeah. yeah. Good parenting. So, yeah. But when my mom found out, oh yeah, she was not happy. No, she wouldn't. And my dad, I remember dad's like, listen, I had one. I Just like old man, like I had one. I was fine. You know, and I remember him saying, do you not trust him? He's not responsible. And she's like, well, he is. I'm like, then trust him. I might have been like 10, 11 years old. Uh, I should not have had one. <laughs> <laughs> should not have had one at all. I got to miss some shit with that thing. But uh, the point is, is that I can relate to the idea of the kid wanting that thing and going through anything. There's actually another really cool line in the, the mall when he's going to see Santa Claus and that obnoxious scene and obviously ralphie doesn't believe in santa claus right like who the fuck believes in santa claus but he does say and i got such a kick out of it let's face it most of us are scoffers but moments before zero hour it did not pay to take chances as he got in line to make his wish to santa claus when i was a kid never caught that line I, as many times i've seen that scene never caught the relevance what that actually meant there's no uh, atheist in a foxhole, right? Basically, right. that's what yeah. that line means, right? And I thought that's kind of cool. And I, I'm like, I got to write that shit down because that's clever, actually. Um, there's a lot of really good lines like that, but I think Ralphie is just just a fucking nine year old kid, like you said. And you, your 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 opinion and your your observation of these characters, Noah and and Matt, are very accurate. They're they're fucking fault written human beings. Uh, they all have redeeming qualities for sure. Randy fears for his brother's safety. Now, granted, Randy's like fucking like six years old, five years old. What the fuck does he know about the world? But he thinks that something bad's going to happen, right? I get it. Um, the old man, dis- disassociated father, potentially abusive, maybe not for the times, who knows, but cares enough about his son and pays attention to what he wants to get him the thing that he wanted most. Well, the mom, well, the mom is the mom. She does her thing, right? And even Ralphie, even though the central character probably had the least amount of redeeming qualities, but I feel like he didn't have to because we were on the ride with him. We were on that road to get to Christmas Day with him. He doesn't have to be this really cool Macaulay Culkin character. We're just on this road, and we're going we're gonna to see if he can get the thing that he wants the most, which he does, and it backfires on him. Well, so you, you mentioned too about about the dad picking up on it. The dad was the only person that Ralphie didn't ask for the BB gun. He asked Santa Claus. He asked his mother. Does he ask him at the beginning? No, he mentions no. it. He doesn't yeah, ask him. The dinner I, table. No, he doesn't mention the BB gun to his dad. He mentions yeah. it at the mom. And then he and, starts working and, himself up to mention it to the dad. And he starts, he drops that thing about grizzly bears. That's right. But yeah. he never full on mentions the gun. 
to the dad. And he mentions it to a school teacher. He mentions that yeah. the Santa Claus, but he never says it to the dad. But one of the things that I caught here watching it is that when he put the article in the magazine and he positioned the magazine, he put it on the other bed, which was his dad's bed. So at the beginning of the movie, his dad picking up the magazine, if it was on his bed, would have opened it right to the BB gun, which yeah. might lead to the reason too. And I, I, I would have to watch this again to see if I can pick up on it again, but yeah. um, see if I'm right about this. But I think that's the inkling that his dad gets right at the beginning of the movie. That he has an interest in the BB gun because his dad would have saw the magazine plant that he left. But I, I kind of go with you a little bit on the shows. You know, R- R- I knew a lot of Ralphies growing up, right? Mm-hmm, right. Um, and I, the, his character to me now, although I, I go back with you, Noah, that the, the the characters don't really have arcs in this movie. Um, they they don't really grow you get a little bit of a different sense of dad at the end of the movie than you do from the beginning. He, he mm, becomes yes. a little bit more relatable if we, and, and if your assumption is right. And again, I, I don't know if the filmmaker's intent was this or not, but you know, we're looking through the characters through Ralphie's eyes and, you know, we could have that, you know, again, kids don't have minutia when it comes to emotions. Dad could just be the scary figure. Even if dad wasn't a scary figure, we're reading in maybe that he was, um, but let's go ahead and say that he wasn't. And that was just the perception that Ralphie had of his father. And then when you start seeing the characters throughout without Ralphie's eyes and you start seeing them being more affectionate husband and wife and, and things like that, that's the character arc you get. Ralphie doesn't grow in this movie. He doesn't no. change. He, nothing really kind of happens there. It's very basic. What does the main character want? Does he get it? And what happens along the way from establishing that he wants it to the end of the movie when does he or does he not have that payoff? But, you know, being the kid in the playground who is not a part of egging your friend on putting his tongue up on the pole and getting it frozen, but being there and watching it happening. And then once his tongue is frozen, being like, I have to go back. Like, I I can't be here. Or then when Farkas shows up and his best friend comes back in with a black eye, Farkas clearly gave him. Same thing. I, I have to go. I have to get into the classroom, you know, just being able to kind of like run away from the situation, but then still being like observing through the window. You know, he's watching You know, the teacher's like, where is I can't remember the kid's name. Like, where is he? And they're all looking out the window and she finally sees him stuck to the pole. And they're just watching through the window as the police show up and the fire department shows up. You know, I knew a lot of kids that were like that. Yeah. Um, so I had some, I had some relatability with Ralphie in that world as being a kid who is, you know, not a predator. He's prey. And, you know, you're, you're trying to survive and how you see how he sucks up to his teacher all the time. You know, I knew a lot of, I knew a lot of kids like that. Dare I say I was probably one of those kids, you know, because again, I'm going to try to do whatever I can to get ahead in this, in this classroom. So, you know, I, I did see some, some things about that with Ralphie that were, that relatable to my, to my childhood. Um, and, and kind of some of the situations that he was in. Um, but he, he, he's, again, it's a very, he's a very focused character through the movie, but that doesn't show that there's any kind of 
growth. You mentioned Macaulay Culkin's character in Home Alone. In spite of everything that happens in that movie, he does have growth. You know, he starts as the kid at the beginning of the movie who wants to be very selfish, hates his family, hopes they all go away because he's the youngest and or one of the youngest and he keeps getting stepped on to the end of the movie, wanting to have his family together at Christmas, even though he wished them away and, and, you know, all those other things he does kind of, you know, come around at that point. And again, you know, being the aficionado for eighties movies that I am and, you know, having such an appreciation for all the cinema of that time, you didn't have to worry about that stuff in eighties movies so much. 80s movies weren't always there to teach you a lesson. Sometimes they're just there to no. give you a ride. You know, they were, they were that ride at the amusement park that, you know, isn't flashy, isn't always, you know, the most exciting, but you always went on and wrote it because That's you true. had that affinity for it. And, um, you know, I think this is one of those kind of, kind of films. So I would agree with that. Just to kind of to slightly disagree with you, though, there, I know if only they shit on Ralphie more, but those rides, they don't at every possible opportunity aren't so fearful that they sell every friend and ally they have down the river multiple times. Ralphie could have stopped the tongue thing. He could have waited with his friend to help him, but no, he runs. Then the teacher says, where's your friend? He could have just sat outside and he would have got off scot-free, but he said no. He thrice denied knowledge of the tongue on the pole. Then the teacher goes, de deals with it, comes back, and he still doesn't fucking own it. Did you just? He fails on his friends not once but twice while they're getting bullied. He has an opportunity to tell the truth about his abusive dad. Is so fearful he doesn't that he he basically dooms one of those friends that he's already sold out. I couldn't pick out which one to a whoop death by whooping. Dude, I'm pretty sure she might have murdered him. Yeah, does all of this. <laughs> well, I I do like how he said that. Like he basically lived three blocks away, and he could hear his friend getting getting his ass beat. Dude, that the noise that the mother was making was so ungodly. Oh, it's like it's like, like don't. Uh, I hope you never have to watch a YouTube video of an animal giving birth. But that's what it sounded like, just with just extreme levels of domestic abuse happening behind there. But I just, I just generally found that there was no, no super redeeming quality. And I think the only real time uh, Ralphie grows in the entire movie, uh, and this is my segue, is the scene where he fights his bullies. Right? Mm, dude, and I think because our little sociopath finally snaps. If you get a snowball to the eyeball, that is pinned between your eyeball and your glasses. Oh, that was such a good shot, man. Yeah. You you deserve to get your ass whooped for that. So, yep. uh, fun fact about that scene, uh, it took multiple takes, multiple takes to get that shot right because uh, Billingsley, who plays Ralphie, kept like not kind of keeping up with the shot, and so he would get hit in the face over and over again. And that last shot that we that they used, those tears were real. Because that, sh that it like they just kept rolling with that shot because most of the shots didn't get up under the glasses like that, but that one did, and and that was the perfect take, of course. So that that look of pain and and frustration was legit not acting, which is hilarious. Good, but I though though I find the that I mean when you're trying to be a heel in the movie and the two bullies were just told to go out there and 
be heels and they fucking did right they and really they were, were heels they oh, were man. super heels and yeah they're you know you think as, as much as i hated ralphie that i would have rooted for the people that were trying to beat his ass uh, i didn't because they were so good at being heels they're like dave and jbl i just wanted to see him <laughs> fucking crushed yeah. but that scene let me get close for this that scene gave me the best line in this entire movie the very best line because if you remember just for the context they're out of the schoolyard and they're like come here and he's they're like no and they leave the one kid to get his ass whooped right because they bail on him they just they go inside i know what you're gonna fucking say so later he throws the snowball and he looks at him dead in the eye and he says the most iconic line in this movie and i wrote it down verbatim because i listened to it nine times so i couldn't forget about it and he says when I tell you to come, you better come. He did say that. He fucking said it. <sighs> Dead face, straight With face. Those yellow eyes. I swear to God, he had yellow those eyes. Yellow eyes. And I paused the movie, and I went and refreshed my my tasty glass of iced tea and got a snack, and I just rewound it to make sure I heard what I fucking thought I heard. <laughs> out of context. Mary, uh, my wife asked me, so how did that go last night? Uh, she doesn't like the movie uh and i said well i found the best line in the movie maybe the best line in any christmas movie she said what's that and i looked her dead in the eye and i said when i when i tell you to come you come you know it it's it's similar to a couple years ago i was listening to a halloween playlist on i think iHeartRadio or or maybe it was pandora or something and Anytime you have a, a Halloween themed playlist, there's always two songs that are going to be on there right away. It's Thriller and then the Ghostbusters song. Mm-hmm. And I never caught with Ray Parker Jr. just going, Bustin' makes me feel good. Yes. Man. And I was just I like, thought, yes. I was like, I've been singing this since I was five. <laughs> and I'm now, for the first time in my life, a grown ass man realizing. That Bustin makes me feel good. I mean, it's it's like shit. It's about shooting ectoplasm everywhere. God damn it! But is there a lie? That's what I ask. (laughs) Stop the lie, motherfucker. There is not spitting truth. Uh, Uh, So yeah, so Ralphie uh, proceeds to rightly or wrongly assault Scott Marcus for a minute and twenty-one seconds. That thing goes on way longer than I remember it going. He when he was done. When, well, okay, let me rephrase that. When his mom ripped him away from him, he was bashing Scud's head off the off the, the ground. Yeah, he was. Like, he was going, had no one stopped him. He might have he, murdered he him. him. I'm sure he concussed him. I'm sure he concussed the kid. He beat the living shit out of him. Of course, in the era that this movie takes place, and they're like, wow, oh, well, you know, you've got what we could go, you got night demons. Do some cocaine about it. You'll be better in the morning, right? <laughs> like this, uh, they, they would not have diagnosed that kid with demons. Oh, you know that like <clears throat> there there is a a scene there's a character in the reboot of it you guys have seen it saw the first one the first the, reboot the, the fir- that's what i'm talking about and the, the when they're all kids the bully in it is very similar to the bully in a christmas story they even look mm-hmm. kind of similar i think i think that's done on purpose for yeah. sure because that's what i thought of too when i saw him 
And, you know, in, 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 I remember thinking to myself, this dude's like got some homicidal tendencies. This is kind of fucked yeah. up. I mean, you know? there are a whole bunch of animals uh, skinned on his basement wall. Yeah. It, the, it, yeah. He, he started with stuffed animals and then just graduated. And, you know, it, you, you kind of see a little bit in, and of course, in an 80s way of that. But I was very, you know, you always kind of forget because of the time we live in, you know, we, we, I don't know about you guys, but like, I grew up in a time where I got into fights, you know, oh, yeah. and, yeah. you know, I've punched guys in the face when I was in elementary school and middle school, and I've been punched in the face. And, you know, my mom didn't go down the street to the kid's house to talk to his mom about it. It was like, well, are you guys done? Did you deal with it? You know, and that was kind of it. Um, seeing that in this movie where, you know, I'm going to call up your friend's mom and tell him, tell her what you, what her son said and not hearing the mom go, don't talk about my kid that way. Mm. You know, that's not that my, my son would never do that, you know, <laughs> to not have, to not have that, you know, to, to go back to the days when, when mom, one mom said something to another mom, that was gospel. And it was hundred percent real. And then I'm just going to go beat the shit out of my kid. <laughs> just going to go assault my child. <laughs> Unmercifully. <laughs> like an unstoppable rebel force. I'm just going to beat the that, shit out of this kid. I, I was after watching that movie, finished my snack, went to bath, went to the bathroom for going to bed, brushed my teeth. And I could hear that kid scream in my head through that phone <laughs> as i'm like winding down my brain last night like that's haunting right mm. we saw the movie silent hill that had a scene where a woman had razor blades uh razor uh razor wire come out of her vagina and yeah that was a thing and it didn't stick with me as much as that poor child <laughs> begging for god to save him <laughs> Not knowing that's the thing. That's the most fucking heartless thing. And that's why Ralphie's a true piece of shit. Because that boy not only got his ass beat into where he not only met his maker, uh, but he he's he met every ancestor he ever had that day. But he didn't fucking know why. Because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Ralphie yeah. caused that oh, yeah. as you're saying, Mac. Oh my god. Well well, no, I mean it's 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 it just the other thing too, it's like as as the mom comes to pull Ralphie off of um Farkas, she doesn't even throw Farkas a towel and say, Here, clean yourself off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she, that just, she just <laughs> she just fucking left him there in a pool of his own blood. <laughs> just laying there, probably with a cracked skull, because Ralphie spent twenty minutes just banging his head off the ground, mm -hmm. and she just got up and walked him out, and then like brought him, brought him home, and and like take him up to the bathroom, and like put a warm rag around his neck, and just says, "Go lay down." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just I, I was, you know, and I I know that it's such a different time than we live in now and everything. But you know, we grew up in that time before that changed. You know, and yep. um, it's just because of the society we live in now. It's just almost so strange to see that because that's not how how it is now. Parents don't let kids sort things out themselves, and 
you know, parents will blame other parents for something. They'll never say their kids were at fault. And, you know, we, we yeah. definitely seen some change there. And dare I say, we probably lost a little something uh, because of that. I, I, I just got to go point up. So two things, one about Fargus. Now, if that this was a real situation, because you, you came from your earlier doc, whenever I, I accused these characters of all being terrible and you said they were real. If that kid gets mercilessly beat for X amount of time and has his head pounded off the wall, gets up and walk on his own accord, knowing what we know about con concussions and that kind of facial trauma, Fargus, and the reason why he's not in the rest of the movie, like poor kid, probably not poor kid because he's a douchebag probably died in his sleep that night or <laughs> had a seizure <laughs> while his father's like, I'm listening to the radio. Quit shaking. And then they take him to the hospital and like, no, he's got blood tremors. You're going to have to get some <laughs> leashes. You get a lobotomy because yeah, uh, this is 1949 and we don't know what the fuck is going on. But Marcus had an ass whooping coming for sure. And, and actually, uh, Grover, Grover, did a little dude, little one. Yeah um his little sidekick is actually the um the, the evil paper boy from uh better off dead oh, fuck. Oh, which we will cover at some point oh my god do i fuck that's a movie alive? i forgot all about and i watched it way too many times at a young age way jones. too many times jones 15 weeks that's 65 papers that's fourteen dollars <laughs> plus tip. Plus tip. I, I butchered that line, but you guys get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the well, other maybe it was two weeks, fourteen papers. It was two weeks. It was two weeks. About papers, about what yeah. we know about medical medical science and things. I'm gonna go ahead and say no, and it's gonna be weird. I'm gonna say Randy. I can't fucking stand him. But that being said, it's because I don't think we're supposed to be able to stand him because this is Ralphie then we're supposed to see him as an annoying little brother. But seeing as that he's supposed to be five or six and the mom still has to talk to him that way and get him to eat food by pretending to be a piggy and baby talking. Could we now say Randy's on the spectrum? Would you say like if someone's like, oh, oh the character Randy is definitely somewhere in the, in the developmentally disabled list even different because because like there's something going on there. As I'm like unpacking it here, as I'm listening to you guys talk, I mean, he can't get up, he can't do anything himself. He can't. He, he barely forms cohesive sentences. He thinks that every single thing under the tree is his. There's something going on with Randy. Maybe it's the lead-based paint. Maybe it's a lot of. The, maybe it's the fact that, and this is another point that I have here. This is a segue. Did it bother anybody else in this movie? The fucking cavalier nature. The father kept catching fire to all the electrical outlets in the goddamn movie <laughs> yes like really bothered me like a whole lot of time i mean I it wouldn't say it bothered me but it was entertaining yeah but i'm just thinking man that's a real good way like that i see you know you see all those old school because we all have like a, a piece of antique thing that our parents had in there and it's got that old plug on there right the mm -hmm. unpolarized plug you're like oh i feel like just holding this thing it's not plugged in I'm like personal plans. Much less twelve of those things. Plug it in there and sparking. Well, I mean, going, going back to Randy Noah, you know, yeah. as a as a father, right? Is your child a picky eater? Yeah, she is. Okay, much do less you, now than when she was a year ago. But yeah, do you let her eat her meatloaf and mashed potatoes and cabbage like she's eating it off her plate like a trough? 
Never in a million years. I thought that was so strange. Mom was, was so into it. And I'm like, is I, I'm looking at stuff. I'm like, is Randy on the spectrum a little bit? And we just didn't know at this point, you know, what, what's Randy seemed like he had a little something going on. A little something extra there. Wasn't yeah. probably diagnosed in the 1940s. Um, just in terms of, of Shit, Mac, they didn't diagnose people in 2006. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I fucking help me out here, right? Yeah, it's oh. just, I, 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 I thought that was a little bit weird. Like, if I ever did that at the dinner table, that would have been a time that my dad took the belt off. And over <laughs> here, you know, you, you mentioned that Jones earlier about your experiences. You know, my my mother was always the disciplinarian in the house. Mm -hmm. um, dad was always a threatening figurehead because my mom would be like if this is what i'm doing i'm doing this so your father doesn't have to <laughs> well, I, just, there you go. I just remember like the one time that like jimmy mack took the belt off and i remember running from my life <laughs> like, he didn't even do anything my dad never laid a finger on me in his life um but he took the belt off one time and he never had intention of doing anything with it and i just remember being so traumatized <laughs> like just just don't please just don't do it you know um but um yeah it, it's um i don't even really remember where i was going with that but <laughs> just just kind of comment yeah so so no we know now do i feel uh slightly bad about wanting to say i have it in my notes about randy hold on let me read how awful this is because i deserve it i deserve to be caught out like this i said uh i and I'm talking about, I called Ralphie a twat as the first chance we meet Ralphie. And then I said, I also want to stab his brother a lot. And then I make several other references. Uh, Randy needs his ass kicked and stabbed. I'll do it. <laughs> Randy makes it out to the entire entirety of this movie without a knife wound. I'm very sad. I got a little angry about Randy. <laughs> I think the only critical note I had about Randy was when he was knocked to the ground when he was in the oversized like mm -hmm. snowsuit, like the star suit where he couldn't get his arms down. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why can't it get up? And, and Steph just goes, he's got so much clothes. He's way down. I was like, he could easily roll. <laughs> just get back up again. Why is he getting back up? Of course, then again, too. I believe, um, am I the only one here that has a little brother? Right? Yes. Yes. Right. And we all know my <laughs> little brother because he's your little brother too. Right? Right. Uh, dude, I fucking got sense memories of fucking Drew <laughs> this entire time about this little shit that I couldn't get. And Drew listens to the show and he just tried to fight with me today. So let me just, just kind of get in here. <laughs> let me get in here. <laughs> okay. That. God damn it, Drew. Watch a Christmas story. Watch that little fat little fuck waddling around on his back, whining, begging for someone to help him when he could have helped himself. Help me. Oh my God. I just want you to know that I had to fucking deal with that. And some days, emotionally, I still got to fucking deal with that because of you. So you fucking, you get on your high horse and you ride the fuck out of town. Okay. But anyway, I wanted to stab his little brother, and it has nothing to do with my own emotional shit. I'm just recently realized I'm unpacking well, a little life on the air. Right? <laughs> well, so, so of course, like I was the little brother, 
So yes. uh, I, I'm the one who needed to get stabbed. <laughs> Growing up. Oh, shit. <laughs> Stabbings for everybody. You know, for, for the stuff that I put my brother through. So, uh, so speaking of, of stabbings, let's go to what I feel is the most iconic scene in a movie. It could not be. It could be something else. But it's the Santa scene to me. Right? <laughs> That's the movie that if you say pick a scene that you remember the most from this movie before I watched it again, I would absolutely every time tell you the Ralphie getting kicked down the slide and that whole sequence is to me the most iconic scene in the movie. What, and, what, what do you say? You What's the most iconic scene for you guys? Well, as you talk about the Santa scene, Noah, I've got complete fucking flashbacks mm-hmm. to that. I, I was saying, I was saying to Steph in the movie as you know, the, the elves are pushing the kids through and Santa's like, I'm not going to stay here one minute past nine. <laughs> yep. We know what that's like. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking there to myself, like, like I'm like I never had anything really bad happen when I was playing Santa Claus, but I did have one terrible set of parents come up to me and say, "Listen, my kid's going to be coming up to you in a minute, and I want you to tell my kids they were bad and they're not getting anything for Christmas." And I'm looking at oh, this shit. dude. I'm looking at this dude like, "What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, I'm, that would destroy your kid." I'm not saying that to. No, them. I can't do that, sir. Sorry about that. No, and 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 I'm and I'm thinking to myself, just seeing that guy up there sitting in the suit and everything, and I was like, man, how many kids that I just want to kick down the slide? Oh and yeah, kind of just kind of well, get past it. That actor who played that Santa would have loved the opportunity for a dad to come up and say, hey, can you, you know what? I don't want to be this guy, and I'm sorry to start off your job, but you can call my my son a dirty twat if you want to, and tell him he's not getting shit. And the Santa's like, there, fantastic. <laughs> can i tell the next two kids after him just to <laughs> because he would have oh god that was awful that was awful it was probably fitting it did cap encapsulate the terror that i imagine some kids feel uh when they're meeting a like a santa or an easter bunny yeah for the first time but to well, me that's just like uh those uh, the, the scene makes me hate santa it makes me hate elves it makes me hate teenagers and it makes me hate slides three of the four i'm already on the fence about all the time anyway (laughs) (laughs) so the scene did its job it did it did doc how do you feel about the scene man uh i mean it's obnoxious it is but because it's supposed to be right like it's shot in a way that is it's compact it's claustrophobic you know going up the going up the, the steps to get to like Santa Claus, the whole thing feels so uncomfortable. Uh, and, and it's supposed to, I'm assuming. Um, I don't really have strong feelings about that scene. To me, it's one of the weaker parts of the movie. Um, it's just there. I mean, because it needed that, that scene needed to happen. That's a big part of the story, but it yeah. doesn't really do much for me. Um, I, I, felt I, do, whole, I felt the whole scene existed just so the parents could go buy their kids their fucking Christmas presents. Yes effectively yeah <laughs> logistically that's why it was and the whole thing was worse so that uh that they a get over the angst that re- uh minimum wage retail workers feel during christmas but also the idea that that we needed just one more person of import to tell him that he's going to shoot his eye out and so who yeah. who more heavy weight hitting on that regard than santa claus and to do it so nonchalantly as well i think was a supposed to be a shock moment and it worked but yeah, um i'll go yeah. with that 
Yeah, it, it was. I, I liked how that scene was shot because, you know, I mean, I can remember, you know, those feelings because you know, there's always two stages to you with Santa Claus as a kid. There's the point where you're fucking completely terrified of him. And then there's the point where you have reverence. And I like that Ralphie was at the age here where it was kind of in between because he had the whole plan there to tell Santa Claus what he needed to say and then couldn't fucking do it. And then Santa's Mm -hmm. like, what about a football? And you're like, like you're fucking hypnotized. Yeah, a a football. And then Ralphie (laughs) clinging to the slide before going down just to get his final say into the big guy. That last appeal to the higher power, right? The only guy that matters at this point. And then, <laughs> and then I know as they're sitting at the bottom of the slide, him and Randy, like they were laying there for at least a few minutes. How many fucking kids came down that slide afterwards and like landed on their heads as they were Far just sitting many. there because they waited until like their mom and dad came to pull to pull them up. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting scene, but you, but I didn't really have a lot of affinity for it except for my own experiences doing that job. Yeah. Um I I think I still think the most um to me the scene that sticks with me the most is the last scene of the movie. And I don't know if we're ready to transition to that yet or not, but I'll I'll, yep, that works I'll, hold, for me. I'll hold that point. It's it's the turkey getting destroyed and then them having to go to the Chinese restaurant for dinner. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that scene to me because again, you've got all these these really you know, like um, just universal Christmas moments of the movie. Again, things we've talked about, the tongue getting stuck to the pole. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the bunny suit that sticks with us, everything to do with the leg lamp. But that whole thing of them being at the Chinese restaurant, like, just get dressed. We're going out. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and and, 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 and look, I, I will be very clear here, and this has nothing to do with the Christmas story. But one of my family traditions for the holidays, everybody, is that we get Chinese food for dinner as a family on Christmas Eve. Because in middle school, one year, because we live in Pittsburgh, everybody, and uh, this isn't really a sports-themed podcast, but uh, I, I'm a little bit of a sports guy, they would say. Um, my, family, <laughs> my, my family didn't want anything to do with cooking dinner on Christmas Eve when the Steelers were playing the fucking Chargers out in San Diego. Mm-hmm. back when i was in seventh grade so the idea was like, well let's just go to sesame inn there's your plug sesame inn um <laughs> I'm, not gonna, go. I'm not gonna expect some kickbacks but we're gonna build on this and we're gonna see where this goes um i i i could be persuaded <laughs> to to show myself out for some delicious ring rolls but keep going absolutely but um but we got chinese food and we we got that for uh, for dinner because nobody wanted to cook, and that became a family tradition. We're like, oh, we really like this. Let's just do this every year. Um, and people would ask me when I would talk about like, what are your family traditions? Like, oh, we get Chinese food for Christmas Eve every year. It's like, oh, like in a Christmas story. I'm like, what? Because I didn't know. I never watched it. And then when I finally saw it and everything, and I'm like, well, first off, this is fucking racist as shit. Oh, dude, it's so <laughs> racist. <laughs> It's so mm-hmm. racist and it really fucking like I thought we were gonna get away from one movie. Get one movie in that isn't just randomly and excessively racist for no reason. And every movie we've done, we've there's a moment of racism, which makes me realize maybe there's just more racism in movies than I thought there was. Yeah, there is. All the way, there is. All the way through this movie, 
to it's not just a little racist it's not even moderately racist it is fucking heavy-handed racism at the very end the feel-good moment of this movie that's what this is a note i have and i have to say that this movie is voted america's number one favorite uh christmas movie the object of the main character's affection is a gun and the feel-good resolution of the whole thing where everyone finally comes together in the spirit of christmas is knee deep in a bath of racism <laughs> this is the iconic american christmas movie dude it, like, kind of, it checks like, boxes doesn't it how many more how much more can it be like i was just i was sitting there with literally and this takes a lot for me to do i sat there with my hand over my mouth watching this last scene like oh no Oh, 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 like they, it just unnecessarily. It didn't. It didn't age very well. Not at no. all. Uh, in that case, no, not, not not something from 1983. No, no. <laughs> and I was I was talking with somebody about this, and they're like, "Oh yeah, what? Well, I mean, how racist is it?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I I feel it's kind of bad, but I mean, it's obviously not bad enough that TNT and TBS haven't edited out." of the of the version nor is there a disclaimer at the beginning of it that says well this movie was made back in 1983 representing the 1940s so just keep in mind some cultural touch points with this and and just be aware you know they haven't put the disclaimer on it yet but as i say this they're probably thinking about it a little bit um fun fact about that scene um the mother did not get the scene in the script Um, not at all nope and they wanted uh, to have her honest reaction when they brought the duck out. Bob Clark ensured not to tell her that the roasted duck was going to have the full head on it. So when you watch that scene, it was one take that they got of her honest reaction of that duck coming out fully fucking cooked, head and beak just hanging out. So well, that's good. She, yeah. yeah that, I always thought that that scene was so odd growing up, but like her reaction seems so strange rel- relative to everybody else. And then, you know, like you see, come to find out, like she got a totally different part, different uh, false, false part of the script. That's why, if you notice, the kids are like staring at her because mm-hmm. they're in on it. Everybody's in on it. Yeah. And her just, just trying to contain herself because none of this is what she was prepared to see or do. And then when he chops the, the duck's head off, her reaction is like pure priceless, honestly. He, he chops the head off and then sticks it in his pocket, like sticks it in the it's pocket just, of the apron and the head's just hanging out. Like, well, there you go. Uh, uh, that, that, that to me was just so, that, that, that to me is like the scene of the movie that kind of, that just kind of stuck with me and probably not for like a good reason. But again, seeing this movie when I did at the time that I did, I'm like, well, that's, kind of inappropriate so very, i imagine very at some point it was supposed to be funny but you know i don't think it uh, didn't didn't exactly age very well so so before we give our final thoughts on this thing consider we reached the last iconic scene i do want to ask a question and i didn't i apologize that i didn't ask okay inside baseball sometimes if i'm going to ask opinionated questions i send out a text or a message to everyone so they can it's like a vice presidential interview. You get the questions ahead of time so you can have a prepared answer. But I'm going to spring this one on you. And Jones, you, you've alluded to this several times in a podcast, but Ralphie's object of his Christmas desire was the uh, Red Ryder BB gun. Mm-hmm. 
So what is the, I'm going to ask you, it's a two-parter, tell me both or one if you want. But what is the Christmas toy that you always wanted, but you never got? And did you ever really want something one year and can remember actually getting it on Christmas Day? On Christmas Day? Or for, um, for, for a holiday. Yeah, 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 for the Christmas. Uh, a Power Wheels. Uh, 100%. Yeah. I never got that shit. I uh, was never going to get that. But I always wanted it. It's never one anything I've done. That was like so far away, so close. Um, and the gift. Pretty sure the Nintendo 64. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Mac, what was the one that got away? Oh, this is this is notorious in my family. Uh, so if any of my family members are listening to this podcast, first off, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, I mean where, did you just stumble upon this? Did somebody, like, do you even know this is me talking right now? <laughs> I mean, are you aware of how this is actually going? Because you guys really, we got to have some talks after this, man. <laughs> um, but it's notorious with my family. Um, I wanted, growing up, a play school kitchen in the worst way. I don't know. It, there was just always something like if I went to a friend's house, and they had it. I always loved the play school kitchen. Um, now, as I've, as I've become an adult and I, I started doing this when I first started living on my own, I realized I like good food. And if you, uh, and, and you can't afford to buy good food, you have to learn how to make it. And Jones, you and I, man, we've had our fucking adventures in the That's kitchen right. over yeah. the years. We'll For talk sure. about that at some other time here, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, some not so famous things that were cooked up at the estate. <laughs> right. Um, but I, as I said, and, and it was it was my dad who who wasn't really a fan of me getting it. Um, but I always wanted the play school kitchen and I never got it. That was the one that got away. And I remember one year, cause I asked Santa Claus for it like three times. Yeah. And I remember one year I was like crying to my parents, like, what did I do wrong each year? All I asked Santa Claus for was a play school kitchen and I never got it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, a deep, that's a deep cut <laughs> to mom and dad. Yeah. But, is I, yeah. but, but I've, I've had that conversation with my parents all the time. We got an order. Cause I would say to them, I was like, you realize if you guys bought me the play school kitchen, we wouldn't be having Christmas dinner at my house. We'd be eating Christmas dinner at my five-star fucking restaurant. Your Michelin star. <laughs> I would have, because I would have become a chef most likely in my life. Cause I, I still to this day love to cook. Um, that was the one that got away. Uh, there were two gifts that I got that were I that were just very that were huge for me as a kid because uh, they were also big gifts. You know, like when yeah. you got the big like when you went downstairs and looked at the Christmas tree and the big gift had your name on it. Oh my God! Right? Yeah, you were the one. Yeah, yeah. didn't have to be the most expensive gift. Just had to be the big gift, right? Big Especially one. as a kid. So um, one year. I got the Ninja Turtle lair for Christmas. Oh shit! Oh shit! And and I I honestly think that maybe with the exception, and I don't remember if I got the Ghostbusters firehouse as as a Christmas present or a birthday present or something, but um, I definitively remember the sewer lair was a Christmas present, and that was the first base that like my family got me as a gift you know we didn't have like there wasn't a death star 
mm-hmm. you know there wasn't a layer you know the the, the turtle layer was the first one that was so one. um and that just changed the game for me with with the ninja turtles because now that's awesome everything was on right everything can happen at the layer yeah well because i also think too at that time i used the ghostbusters firehouse as like a location for the ninja turtles to kind of hang out above ground and now i could like you know finally go ahead and and have them in the rightful place that was that was a huge christmas gift for me that's awesome yeah how about yourself i will answer the question in the two-parter i won't name the ones i was lucky enough that i don't really uh want things very often so I was always just kind of like uh, asking Santa for ran- wrestling dolls. Literally was basically what I asked for for every year for Christmas. And I got them all, right? But the two toys that I always wanted that I never got as a kid were one, moon shoes. Which, thank God, I knowing what my mom <laughs> felt about loud noises, there was no way in hell I was ever going to get moon shoes. Plap, 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 plap. Jackie would have fucking had an aneurysm uh, with that kind of fucking noise. Jeez. Like she would have, oh man, I would have. She would, she would have drop kicked me more than she did if I would have had moon shoes. But it's a sweet story. The other one that I always wanted as a kid was the game Crossfire. If you remember, <gasps> Crossfire. Oh, I remember that commercial. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, the commercial with the shooting the marbles at each other. And I asked <laughs> yes. for like three or four years in a row. I asked for Crossfire, not wrestlers. And asked for wrestling dolls. Asked for Crossfire. And I never got it. Never got it. And when I uh, started dating my wife, I told her that it's like that. She always wanted a Barbie dream house and never got it. And I always wanted Crossfire and never got it. Uh, fast forward to a few years ago, years into our relationship, uh, she pulls the fucking Christmas story gimmick out on me after we're all done and we're having our post Christmas coffee. It's our first Christmas in the house we live in now. And she pulls out the, the gift from behind the tree. And I mm. open it up, and it's fucking Crossfire, a brand new Crossfire in the box. And That's I fucking cool. cried because she remembered after all those years and got me Crossfire. And I felt so strongly about it uh, that I haven't. I, it, it's still under my bed. I've never opened it because I don't want anything to happen to it. And there she, it shall stay. And there until Lily is old enough to understand the need i'm gonna and i'm gonna drip feed it the way i was i'm just gonna play that commercial like 300 times so she's fucking <laughs> yeah, ready commercial. and then crossfire. then we'll assemble it but it's that she got me crossfire so uh that takes that's me back the, yeah that's the I- iconic commercial to me of childhood one of them micro machine guy talking real fast the uh <laughs> yeah. figure uh commercial where piper was playing with the kids with the blue ring and the little little mm-hmm. hasbro guys and crossfire all time three greatest toy commercials. But ah, all right, so what I'm gonna do right now so we can wrap up Christmas story and be fair is I'm gonna I'm gonna give my final thoughts and we'll give our final thoughts. I'll lead off. No, um, can I can I interrupt you real quick? Please. I'd like to take this opportunity to our loyal listeners uh, to encourage you to go out to our Twitter go out to our social media accounts. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your favorite Christmas Smart. gifts as a kid? Tell us some of the things that you really enjoyed or what are some of those, you know, um, just those golden eggs that you really wanted growing up that you didn't quite get. Iconic and uh, why don't you go memory. ahead and, yeah, go ahead and share some of your iconic Christmas memories. Perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, we may read them on a future episode. 
of nothing good yes. and, uh, nice. and share some of that as we go through the holiday season everybody we could we can we can gather them all up and distribute them like gifts i think that's a great idea mac fantastic fantastic yes, yes please share it with us we'll post it on the social media uh and all kinds of other fun stuff coming this week as well as i made uh short clips of the video that we're shooting right now uh to uh, to kind of promote some of the future uh, uh some of the past episodes we've done this way just so they can see our beautiful faces and uh and some of the jokes that i think could have used the visual context so two or three minute clips on uh coming on our social media soon so do that and reply with your favorite christmas moment but I'm going to give go. a good and a bad final impression here of Christmas story, though. I didn't, I admittedly do not like the vibe of the movie. Almost all of the characters in the movie and not zero of the motivation and circumstances. The characters do find themselves in. Um, there's one thing about the movie that it nails. And I think this to me might have a bit of a subconscious reason why America absolutely relates to this damn movie. When they finally get their tree up, and it seems like at that moment, that entire time, every time you see the tree, the screen is a little bit more gleamy and the tinsel is always kind of shimmering and the lights yeah. are huge bulbs. I think that kind of reminds everybody of their grandparents' Christmas tree or some sort of moment when you're little and the tree seems so big and so shiny, right? Like that instance, though I don't really like the vibe of the movie, they nailed that so hard. Uh, and for that reason alone, I can say the sentence that though I may not like the movie, I can completely understand why so many people equate this film with the Christmas vibe. That makes any sense. Um, yeah, that being said, I also just want to say that I know he's a grown man now, but uh, if I ever see Ralphie on the street, I feel like I'm going to run up to him and I'm going to say, fuck you. Um, Moving along. Before you do that, Noah, can can we just go ahead and remind you that uh, Peter Billingsley, who uh, is Ralphie, was an executive producer on Iron Man, mm -hmm. uh, has had a uh, has had a role in Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, oh, yeah. And, and the original Iron Man as well. That's right. Uh, so, you know, as a as a as a part of all that. Um, you know, he, um, he, I think he has a little bit of part mouth too, cause I guess he's friends with John Favreau. Um, you know, he's, um, he's done some things that have really impacted, uh, our, our recent lives. So, um, I give you no fucks. You sit you there. Stop, 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 stop. Fuck you. Not you, <laughs> but you, Ralphie Billingston Witherby, whatever the fuck you your name is. You sound like the fucking Wild Thornberry's main character. Oh, okay, fuck you. But, you um, but if you do, if you do see that, and you do say fuck you, and you know, happen to you know push him down in a pile of snow, uh, Peter, I, I will be there to help you up and apologize just for I for what it, what had happened there. After yelling, fuck you, because I remember a Christmas story, I will proceed to tongue some part of his body and then whisper deep into his ear, I'm not Tony Stark. Which is his only real major line in the first Iron Man movie. And then, of course, again, another ceremonious fuck you into the very orifice I just tongued. Just to keep him guessing, you know? 
I broke Doc a little bit. <laughs> so apparently on the list of things I can't say on oh, in the microphone, <clears throat> succulent is one of them. And tonguing an orifice is another one. It's, you're in it's, my, you're, 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 your voice yep. is like in my ears, so it's really weird, man. Mm. You see, I, I, I make sure to have the over-the-ear headphones so that I don't feel the penetration of Noah's, you know, tongue lashing where that happens. Baritone, tongue, <laughs> tonguing. Just the tonguing of the orifice. Give, give me okay. some final impressions. Of <clears throat> I, I, I still just don't give enough of a shit about it, even after talking about it all this time. Again, I, I, I respect its place in the holiday film lexicon. Um, I can obviously see its influence in other areas of cinema. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, um, my, my, my aff just affection for our director Bob Clark because of Porky's, um, I'm I'm still that I will probably change the channel if I see this. This is on. Um, this isn't really a rewatch for me all the time. Again, I can appreciate some of the themes of the movie and you know the quintessential nostalgia that you feel about it. Like I can appreciate that, but you know, be, beyond that, I think there's probably 50 other Christmas movies. And probably another 25 movies that people would debate are not Christmas movies that take place at Christmas that have themes, but maybe don't quite feel like Christmas, but should be Christmas, but maybe not quite Christmas, but you know, they're toast <laughs> in Christmas. So it's just the tip of Christmas. I, I will just, I would to rather, just to see how Christmas feels, just get a little bit of that Christmas cheer, right? That's for you, Dave. I know you're listening. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just going to turn the channel on this one and, uh, and find something I enjoy more. So, but uh, thank you, Christmas Story, for existing. Uh, but uh, maybe not as angry as as Noah would say. I'll say maybe more a little gentle. Go fuck yourself. Hmm. Mm. Tasteful. Thank you. Tasteful. Yeah, taste, Doc, try to be. Doc as the baby face in this episode. Uh, <laughs> try. Tr tr uh, now I'm going to ask you what your final thoughts are. Feel free to proverbially tongue as many orifices. Or orify. I don't know what the plural of that is. I've never really looked into it. You better believe I'm going to. But tongue all of them as much as you want. Take us out. What's your final thoughts on this? Uh, so it's rare that, off the top of my head at least, and I, I mean, I really haven't done a lot of research in that regard, but I'm not, as you guys may or may not know, I'm not a big Christmas person, not a big holiday person. Uh, so I don't do a lot of holiday films. I think by and large, they're usually not that good. Uh, but there are a few that are good, that are decent. Uh, I don't believe that A Christmas Story is the greatest Christmas movie of all time, but it is by and large my favorite. Um, for a movie that pretty much everything that happens in, in it is grounded in reality outside of, you know, uh, imagination and things that actually can't happen in reality. Um, for it being so grounded, everything that happens in the film can happen in real life. Um, but the, the most unrealistic thing is the Bumbus' dog, the hounds eating Christmas dinner, which is still realistic. That could happen. Um, for a movie like that to exist, um, for it to 
exist in such a way that millions of people watch it every year over 40 million people watch it every year on tbs for reasons beyond my comprehension but more power to them um for me the movie represents not just that's the movie you watch during christmas uh it represents childhood it represents the need and the want the unwavering hyper focus the tunnel vision uh i do agree with most of the criticisms uh, that were thrown at it none of them really matter because the movie's still really good obviously um but i respect uh, obviously um my thought i don't really have final thoughts on it i mean my final thoughts i've been saying the entire time right the characters are interesting uh they have some motivations be it not necessarily altruistic but they're there uh it's fun it's not to be taken seriously <laughs> it's not high art it's just dude's story uh and learning now more about it uh i appreciate it even more uh makes things make more sense um so uh it will be in the in the list of holiday films i will ever watch it's always going to be number one uh and i'm glad that it, I, I my parents sat me down and made me watch when i was a kid uh because it's a fucking gem as far as i'm concerned uh but uh yeah it's, I, that's those are my closing thoughts i don't really have any honestly well well thank you for sharing I, what you did have yeah. uh if christmas story was a person and you could tongue one part of its body where would you tongue it Don't have a response for that. Would you be classy and just say the mouth? I mean, I guess. I want. I kind of really want you and need you to just say that yes, I would tongue Christmas story in the mouth. I'm like, you, you, you don't. You wouldn't fuck Goro's back tits. You wouldn't come inside <laughs> no, the Sega channel. Just tell me, no, French kiss a Christmas story. Uh, I will not. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> Just the fucking laundry tell you list of things. <laughs> Just the laundry list of things that Herb won't fuck. Or but I have I, I have any standards. One of these days we're gonna come across something. And Just, you're just um, we're not gonna be thinking about it. And you'd be like, you know what? You know what? I'd raw dog this movie. I would do it. I would I would I would let this movie go down on me and then because I like it so much it'd be reciprocation time. <laughs> uh, just oh. just Leonardo standing in the corner with a cigarette. <laughs> oh man. Oh crying. <laughs> just crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> on that note. <laughs> I I think I think well we're done with part 1 of the uh, of the holiday series, the first holiday series in in the lexicon of nothing good. Uh, next yeah. week we have a completely different five. We have uh, a favorite of mine, a, 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 but most importantly, it's a yet another version of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. Uh, every so often we get a new update. Is it the best version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? I would say no, but it's my favorite. So we're going to talk about it. What is the best one? I'll tell you next week. I will probably go off on a tangent about the best version of Charles. Uh, spoiler, it's the fucking Muppet Christmas Carol. 
is the peak version. <laughs> it takes um, very long. <laughs> it is it is fucking the pinnacle of a Christmas huh? Carol. But we'll get there one day. Uh, and then after that, we're going to settle the debate once and for all. So that anytime anyone else around you runs their mouth they, and they ask, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? You'll be able to share the link to that episode because we're going to ask, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I mean, is it? We're gonna we're gonna ask that question and we're gonna answer. God damn it! We may we should all watch the movie, but will we talk about the points of the movie? Who fucking knows? Because that's not what the episode is about. It's not we're gonna cover Die Hard. We're gonna argue. Who knows what other deep seated anger we're gonna bring up in this? I mean, we were talking about one hit wonders, and our friendship almost ended over Bad Boys too. I don't know what watching Hans Gruber fall off Nakatomi Tower is gonna do to us, but God damn it, I'm hey, here for it. Did, did you guys know that if you start Die Hard right after watching Love Actually, that uh, Alan Rickman gets his just deserves what he does to his wife in that fucking movie? Oh, 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 man, that's uh, I can't feel like he deserves. I love Alan Rickman, but he did he did Emma Thompson dirty in that movie. Did Emma Thompson so dirty in that fucking Great movie? Dirty, but let's not ask ourselves. Regardless, if you, I'm not asking anyone here if they'd ever cheat on their wife, but in a non-marriage or relationship scenario, if that secretary from Love Actually came on to you, even a tenth as strong, she comes on to Alan Rickman in that fucking movie. Like she full on he she full on Sharon Stones. Him turns around and just spreads her legs in the middle of an office in the middle of a romantic comedy. It's like I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't. Know if, I don't know if I could resist it. I don't know if I could resist. Thankfully, I'm never going to be in England in the year 2003. So, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk. We'll. I'm sure we'll mention Love Actually during a Die Hard episode. But actually, uh, I loved talking about this movie with you guys. So, uh, will I Absolutely. see? Will I see you for Scrooged? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you I'm kind of contracted ass. to be here, so you are <laughs> I will be here. Doc is contractually obligated to be here. Uh, he's on all the bills we pay for this, so yeah, so, there it is. I mean, yeah. if if he doesn't, he has to pay child support, which I don't think anyone of us <laughs> wants. Because no. then I'm going to tell the podcast that your dad doesn't want to see you, and it's a whole. No one wants a podcast from a broken home. I mean, no. Listen, I'm. I'm willing to do an entire month just on Bill Murray of this podcast. So if you mm. think I'm missing Scrooged, you've got uh, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future coming your way because I'm going to fucking be there. Oh, with, beautiful. With nice jingle thing. bells on. Jingle bells. Fantastic. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's wrap it up. Gents, make sure. Hey, you find us on Twitter no, at Nothing Good Pod. We're on Facebook. Right. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. Check us out on Amazon. Uh, we're on Pandora now, officially. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, of course, Spotify, and especially available. And if you're anywhere near in the area, just let Peru know what we're doing. Let Peru know that there's really no legal way that they can restrain us from checking in on there. <laughs> I refuse to stay within 500 yards away from Peru at any time. Listen, when we do nothing good without borders, we are going to Peru and we're going to feel that vibe as we do some mm -hmm. episode on something that's probably not even closely related to Purdue, Peru, but per to Purdue either. Fuck Purdue. Fuck Purdue. Fuck Purdue. <laughs> but yeah, just, just fuck, everybody. Fuck Purdue is university. Fuck Purdue is a chicken. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
but uh but yeah just guys i mean look i don't want to sound too needy or anything but just let them know that i'm thinking about them and um i miss them i'm missing i shouldn't say that because now purdue's gonna th- peru's gonna think i'm so fucking needy um well, you know but text, just, peru, just text mac just text you know yeah. just let me know you don't have to send any nudes any peru nudes perudes no. oh my god perudes Perudes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Just, just, <laughs> just please, just, you know, I mean, even if you just say new phone, who this, I won't be upset. I'm just going to be happy to know that you know that I'm thinking about you. Let me, uh, let me end this on this hypothetical question to you, Doc. Yeah. If we had listeners that were interested enough and they paid our way, would you go to Peru with Mac and I so we could go to a stadium or some sort of field, drill a hole in the earth, and all three of us? could take that hole to pound town would you literally <laughs> fuck a hole in peru so you could say you fucked the nation of peru would you do that <clears throat> no ah come on it's like you ah. don't know me <laughs> i mean I like the, now i just realized it's a whole it's a whole mission of me to fuck every country listen, in, every country. listen <laughs> the actual country i've heard that the soil in peru is very moist Mm. it's about to be protein enriched if i was gonna it. say i mean I'm if there's any, out of peru <laughs> i'm just I'm, ju- I'm just saying protein helps rainforests right i mean it can't are, be that bad are you gonna breed peru what are you gonna breed peru is that what oh, you're doing yeah. it would, it would be it'd be peru. really funny if peru ends up like showing up with like my hair color and you know my <laughs> general <laughs> my my general round face <laughs> you're at your retirement party you know you're getting ready to go on that cruise you've always wanted to listen i'll get your door it's peru and it's got another country that looks a lot like you <laughs> another country. i'll have a lot of explaining to you to steph when she's like i thought you went to bolivia ah oh sometimes things got south we got things got weird man yeah you know there's a lot of there's a lot of borders down there everything's kind of close together lines get erased you know one thing leads to another and next thing you know you're back fucking peru's tits like goro <laughs> in mortal Kombat, while watching leonardo cuckold you in the corner thinking about herb jones like if peru called me herb jones in the heat of passion i wouldn't even be upset no no i no. feel like that, that, that's like an immediate trigger that's like milk on yeah. the prostate yeah. <laughs> it's just what was that release <laughs> uh, you guys you guys will know that i'm like internationally traveling you'll hear on the news there's a 4.3 quake in peru you're like oh mac that son of a bitch come, come <laughs> flying back into the country tsa or customs like do you have anything to declare it's like i declare that i definitely didn't fuck the ground in Peru. Why would you ask me that question? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, well, speaking. Well, listen. Thanks everybody for joining us in this uh, lovely episode. Uh, you know, starting our, our tour de force and segue out of that. Australia. Yeah, you're well, not- I needed to like. Yeah, I need to jump into this here. Listen, um, but- Australia, you're not sloppy seconds. We we we're we're coming for you next. So <laughs> a lot a lot's gonna go on your outback. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so we, so in an attempt to keep us, prevent us from uh, assaulting more countries or continents, um, everybody, gentlemen, thank you for this fantastic podcast. Great episode. Had a good time. Um, 
I'm looking really forward to talking about Scrooge. Uh, that is a movie that I have not seen in a very, very long time, and I don't remember really anything about it anymore. So I'm excited to watch it again. Um, so uh, same bat time and channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you, everybody who listens to us. We appreciate you. Tell your friends. If somebody's interested in something like this, please. We're always looking for more people to uh, insult and entertain. Um, yeah. And just uh, the holidays are coming up, so everybody be safe out in the world. Uh, be good to each other and all that bullshit. And we will catch you on the next episode. On the flip side, Mac, we'll see you next week. Absolutely, yes. gentlemen. Can't wait. Oh, and yeah. uh, Noah, just turn off the ring doorbell camera because I don't need Mariel to see what I'm going to, you know, creep next. That's just fine. I'll leave motion detection on just so I can watch it later when everyone's in bed. Yeah. If I'm if I'm doing anything on your lawnmower, just know that I'm not wearing pants while I'm doing it. That's the only way. Yeah. 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 My man. All right. Nothing good. <laughs>